Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you all for coming. Um, I'm Paul McGreevy. I've met some of you, but not all of you. So I'm the chair of Venture Life Group. I've been working with the team for the last 18 months. Um, in terms of my background, I am, despite my very youthful looks, I'm 35 years in retail and FMCG. So I was L'Oreal, Boots, Body Shop, private equity, uh, manufacturing. So I've been the brand director, the R&D director, the operations director. So jack of all trades and master of absolutely none. But fortunately, we have quality in the room that you're gonna to meet today and all these functions. Today, you're gonna to hear from Jerry, uh, Jerry Randall, the CEO, if you don't know Jerry, yeah. Uh, you're gonna hear from the broader team as well. So we've got, I'm just introducing the board for now. So we've got Danny up there, the CFO, which I'm sure you've all met. We have Jean Luca, who heads up our operations, yeah. And that's the board. I won't do the broader team because Jerry's gonna do that as he goes through it. In the 18 months I've been with the team and having worked with lots of big corporates, lots of small businesses, I was a few years with private equity as well. Um, We've got a lot to share and a lot to be very proud of. The numbers are very good. The brands are excellent. The manufacturing's best in class and the R&D is exceptional. So we have all of the foundation for an incredible business and the numbers are starting to come through to reflect that. And hopefully today with the broader team, we can build that confidence with you guys as well. At that point, I shall hand over to Jerry. Great, thanks Paul. Um, thanks everybody for coming. Uh, a few familiar faces, a few not so familiar faces. Um, really pleased today to introduce uh, the wider Venture Life team for you. We've got some of our colleagues from Italy, uh, some from the UK office. We're going to talk to you about the brands. We're going to talk to you about our development and manufacturing operations, about the opportunities ahead of us. Um, I'm sure you'll all have lots of questions, but if I could ask uh, if you save those to the end um, so that we keep the flow going, we'll have plenty of time at the end, both within this forum, but also one-to-one uh, -one outside with a coffee if you want to chat with any of, the, any of the folks here. So we've got an agenda today. We're really pleased to have three wonderful key opinion leaders with us today. So uh, Dr. Shazia, uh, Vanessa and Hilary, they're going to be talking to you about three of our key brands and how they use them, um, the space that those brands operate in um, and, and why they think they're good brands for us. So hopefully that'll be a useful um, introduction for you. Um, after that, we'll have a quick break, uh, and then we're going to get into distribution. How do we sell the products that we've got, um, the channels that we sell them in, how we sell them, how we target them? And that'll be from um, Lorenzo. Lorenzo's here. He's our uh, head of UK European. Uh, from Natalia, who's here today, who looks after the international business for the brands. Um, and then Joss, who looks after our uh, Amazon and online. Um, and then later on, you're going to hear from uh, Marco, who's here today. And Marco looks after the customer brands uh, in Italy. Uh, John Luca is then going to talk to you about the history of Biocosmos. We're really delighted. Uh, this year is the 40th anniversary of Biocosmos uh, since John Luca founded it, uh, which is a fantastic achievement. And he's going to talk about what we do there, how we support the brands that we make, how we support our customers in the customer brands part of the business, how that development and manufacturing is integral to our business and the way we operate and the efficiencies that we can bring. Uh, I'm really pleased to have Domenico with us here today. Domenico manages supply chain for us in Italy. Um, he looked about 10 years younger two years ago before COVID and everything hit, but uh, Domenico is going to tell you how we coped with the supply chain, how we manage that and how we continue to manage it because it's not over yet. 
unfortunately. We've got Steffi here as well. Uh, Steffi runs our development in Italy, uh, so she looks after developing the new products and how we bring those through. Um, and also we've got a number of uh, other members of the team here today. We've got uh, our three brand managers here, uh, Nari, uh, thinks up here, Rebecca, uh, Cherry, uh, actually four brand managers, excuse me, and Charlie. Um, so these ladies look after the brands on the brand management side. Again, afterwards, uh, please have a chat with them if you've got any questions uh, around the brands. I want to say thank you to Fran down here in the middle. Fran's done all the logistics today. Fantastic job. Um, I think I've got everybody uh, in there, so, uh, so let's move on. Um, so I'm going to give a quick overview of the business. Some of you heard this from me before. But as I say, the objective of today is to really get into depth uh, in a bit more detail. So we're a vertically integrated consumer healthcare business. And that means that we go for right from the idea, through innovation, through development, scale up, manufacturing and distribution of the products. Um, we sell into over 90 markets around the world. It can be a customer who has one product into many markets or many products into one market. But overall, we've got 200 partners uh, around the world and we'll talk more about those as we go through. Four locations. So in Italy, our development and manufacturing is based. That's where most of our people are based. Uh, we also have a manufacturing site in Sweden, near Stockholm. We have commercial brands and head office here in the UK and a small operation in the Netherlands. We sell our products in the UK direct to retailers. So the people you see here, Boots, Lloyds, Superdrug on the pharmacy side, but also into the grocery multiples. And also in the Netherlands, to Croydvat, Trade Plaster. Outside of that, they're sold through partners uh, around the world. We don't have any obligations for marketing or distribution costs in those settings, whereas we do support marketing in the UK. The revenue that we have in the business is split between two sets of products, the Venture Life brands, and we'll be talking about three of our key brands today, and you've got some of those in, in the bags in front of you. Um, and they're generally higher gross margin. We own the products in entirety, the trademark, the brands, the patents, uh, formulations, etc. And then we have our customer brands business, and that's the business that was the original business model of John Luca when he founded Biocosmos, which is to develop and then manufacture products uh, for companies. And we offer both those services. And you see at the moment about 60% of our revenues are from the brands and 40% are from the customer brands. And in the bottom uh, left of the screen, you'll see that the percentage of Venture Life brands has increased over recent years. But importantly, that doesn't mean the customer brands have gone down. The right-hand graph here shows you the growth in just the customer brands business, which has grown threefold since we joined with it in 2014. So a very strong business and a strong business offering. These are the Venture Life uh, brands and therapy areas. Uh, we're going to be focusing on three today. Uh, we want to focus on the women's health area, particularly the Balance Active brand that we had and then we acquired from BBI. The energy management space, where we have a, a number of products there, and also the ear, nose and throat, focusing on the recent acquisition of Eerol, uh, which I'm sure you're aware. We have these other areas. We're not going to uh, spend time on those today. Uh, but again, afterwards, or if you've got questions about the other areas of the business, uh, happy to, uh, to cover those. Uh, Manufacturing is at the heart of what we do. Uh, when I founded Venture Life back in 2010, and based on my experience in Sinclair before when I worked with John Luca uh, back in the noughties, having control of development manufacturers is fundamental to client service. If you go and ask any of the customers, particularly on the customer brand side, what's the most important thing that we bring? It's service, and it's the fact that we deliver on time and in full to quality, and that's really, really valuable. And when you have that in your own brands as well, it means you can sleep at night, it means you know product to be delivered, you can develop, you can broaden the brands, you can adjust formulations. Even recently in the last few years with the supply chain issues, we've had to adjust 
and modify formulations because of supply issues. So that's really valuable and really important, and that's an integral part of what we do. We've got significant capacity in our manufacturing facilities. John Luca is going to talk to this slide a bit later, give a bit more detail, but it's really important as we grow that we have the capacity to produce more, uh, and we have that in abundance. Finally, before I hand over to Danny, um, sustainability is a really important part of what we do. Uh, we have been doing it for a long time, and in 2022, we launched an initiative called Sustainable Life. And the idea behind that was to be more vocal and more planned and more deliberate about our sustainability. We identified our six priority sustainable development goals, which are here on the page. We identified a dedicated team. They're based in Italy and they run that part of the business for us. And you'll be seeing more and more about the sustainability of the business as it goes forward. Some great goals achieved last year. In particular, significant reduction in carbon used in transportation by using train transportation, reduction in uh, heating bills. And in 23, some of the activities we're going to apply for B Corp uh, in the main Italian part of our business and then roll that out wider. Carbon footprint analysis, life cycle analysis, all ongoing. Um, so big activity for us going forward. Um, and that's really important for, for us as a business. So uh, I'm now going to hand over to Danny, um, and uh, Danny's going to talk about financials. I think just before I step away from the stand, you know, in terms of um, the Sustainable Life Project, I think it's really important to us that the culture of the business develops. Um, we spent a lot of time working on the culture of the business and how we work together and how we grow and develop, and that uh, forms a big part of our uh, look at sustainability. Danny, over to you. So good afternoon, everyone. Um, what I'll spend the time today doing is giving a bit of a financial overview of the business. We'll look at 2018 to 2022 to focus on that, but we'll also put that in context of 2023 market consensus, so the guidance that we've already issued publicly. Um, we won't go into too much detail due to time, but um, we'll touch base on composition of the revenue, going a bit further into the VLG brands versus the customer brands. Uh, light touch on cash, leverage and balance sheet, including working capital. And finally, a bit of a financial roadmap to show where we've come from, where we are today, and where we would like to get to in the next few years. So um, we'll kick off with an overview of the financial performance here. And um, I know uh, we've seen a lot of familiar faces here, and we'll have been through these numbers before, just to say that we've had taken this forward to include the market consensus for 2023. So the right-hand side pillar of each of these charts reflects the uh, guidance that Singers and Senkos have uh, out there at the moment. So first thing to say is revenue top left-hand side. You can see that uh, revenue has grown from 19 million in 2018 through to 44 million at the end of last year. That's a revenue CAGR of 24% over that period in line with uh, um, 2014 to 2018 as well. And you'll see as we go forward in a few slides time reflective of what we expect to deliver going forward as well. Uh, guidance out there for this year, 2023 market consensus uh, deliver a 15% growth to get us to a region of 51 million pound business. Uh, just to say that um, the, the growth to date has been achieved broadly half from organic growth and half from growth through acquisition. So we've acquired brands, we've then grown those brands organically. So typically in the first year of an acquisition, after an acquisition, we account that as acquired growth. Um, so just moving on to 2023, now the key message is really to say, I'm sure a lot of you are aware, we bought another business at the end of 2022, HL Healthcare Limited, and that's the year old brand. We'll get the full year impact of that going into 2023. So we actually come out of 2022 at a run rate revenue of around 49 million but we'll see higher growth come this year from the VLG brands part of the business. Uh, the customer brands business had an exceptionally strong business last year, and we won't see that same level of growth next year, but um, we'll talk more about that as we go on. 
Uh, gross profits. Um, so I think you can see from the, the line on the slide, top middle, that you know, that small dip in the 21, 20, 22, beginning of 2022, that's very reflective of the supply chain environment. It's been a, a turbulent environment over the last few years and hence why Domenico's aged so much. But um, you know, what we were, over that period, we've incurred around two and a half to three percent off uh, pressures on our gross margin from input cost increases, energy cost increases. We've managed to pass around 1.7 to 2 percent of that back to our customers through customer price increases. So there is a net negative impact there. But then through the acquisitions we've been making, and we've done th uh, four acquisitions between 2018 to 2022, those are margin accretive brands that we acquire. So although our core business has had pressures from the supply chain environment, we've passed some of that on through price increases, we have been able to get a net margin improvement overall uh, through the accretive M&A and higher margin brands that we've been acquiring. So coming out of 2022, we are a gross margin of just over 40%, but we expect that to step up by around two and a half percentage points this year through higher growth of the higher margin VLG brands. Onto adjusted EBITDA top right hand side. Uh, big increase in EBITDA last year in 2022 from 6.6 .6 million to 9 million uh, during the year. We did actually invest quite a lot in our infrastructure during 2022, bolstering our commercial teams, finance teams and supply chain uh, to prepare the business to manage the, the much bigger business we are today and ensure that we've got the right operations in place to deliver the growth that's ahead of us in our plans. Um, so with that EBITDA margin has been increasing through the GM percentage margin improvement, we've had over an investment, but GM and EBITDA margins are now above 20.5% coming out of last year. And we expect that again to go creep up to around 23% in the year ahead as per the consensus that's out there. Uh, cash generation, really important one for us. So bottom right-hand side. Um, over the last couple of years, it's been a real focus on cash generation, improving our cash conversion. So that's our EBITDA that turns into uh, actual net cash generated, but also uh, driving forward uh, tighter working capital improvements as well, which I'll come on to. And you can see here that cash generation was 6.1 million in 2022, a big increase over the last few years. And we see that increasing further with improved cash conversion to around 90% in 2023. And again, we'll talk to the reasons behind that as we go. A lot of you will have seen this slide before. It's just a, the revenue evolution of the business, as I like to call it, since we went to an IPO back in 2014. You can see that we've done 25% CAGR over that eight-year period. And in the last five years, I talked on the last slide that there was a similar level of CAGR. And again, half of that from organic growth and half from acquisitions. We acquired HLH at the end of 2022, that's on the 1st of December. So our 2022 revenues of 44 million only include a very small impact from that acquisition. So we've also shown the exit run rate coming out of the year, if you include that business, that's around a 5 million revenue business. You can see we exited the year at second to right pillar, 49 million of revenue. So just looking into uh, 2023, and you'll, I'm sure a few of you are thinking, only 1.6 million growth from 2022 exit run rate to 2023. But it's important to iterate the exceptional performance of the customer brand's business last year. That business delivered 41% growth from partnerships of key partners. And um, we don't expect that same level of uh, performance to be achieved in 2023. So there'll be a small retraction of the customer brand's business. Uh, but overall, that business still delivering 15% CAGR over the last two years in line with its historic performance. So that's not to be 
actually sniffed at despite the small retraction there. So therefore, to the point is that the turquoise bars at the bottom of this chart, these are the VLG brands, and these are the ones that we see growing significantly over this year. And that's on the back of the acquisitions we've made again, but filling out the distribution opportunities in UK and internationalizing the brands, which Lorenzo and Natalia will talk to shortly. And it's really important to us that we continue to grow that part of the business because as Jerry said earlier, those are the higher margin brands. Typically, we make around 46% on a blended basis from our VLG brands, where compared to around 30% on our customer brands business. But our customer brands business creates, creates operational leverage that helps the margin improvement on our VLG brands as well. I'm just going to give a snapshot of what that VLG brands business looks like for a second. So that's a higher margin part of our portfolio. So just in terms of geography, therapy area and by brands here, you can see that VLG brands were around 28 million exit run rate revenue at the end of last year, including the new acquisition. Just over half of those revenues come in the UK through retail and pharmacy channels. So these are typically recurring revenues, very long-standing customers, all the key retailers, but there are still opportunity gaps in those retailers, which Lorenzo will talk to shortly. In terms of therapy area, the key three therapy areas we're going to talk today and hear from the guys around are energy management, women's health, and ear, nose, and throat. Those account for around 60% of the VLG brands portfolio today, and all of those are highly margin accretive to um, some of the older brands in our portfolio. Uh, and um, so within those three therapy areas, the key brands we'll be talking about are Balance Active, uh, Lyft, and uh, Eerol. We touched briefly on cash on the first slide. We've had a significant improvement in cash generation from operations, as I explained, and that's been driven by improvements in um, uh, tighter working capital management, but also we've been making high, uh, highly accretive cash conversion acquisitions. BBI was 90% cash uh, conversion acquisition. HLH is 100% cash conversion acquisition, and we'll see the benefit of some of that coming through in 2023 again. What I really want to talk to here is that um, we, we, you know, in 2022, we actually had, although operating cash, conver cash conversion was 69%, we built our inventory during 2022 by about two and a half million. So that had an adverse working capital flux in the business on a temporary basis to help us manage the supply chain situation. So if, it not, if not for that, we would have seen greater cash conversion than shown here. But going into 2023, with a normalization of those inventory levels, uh, we won't see that same adverse flux and we'll have the benefit of the highly cash generative HLH acquisition. So we should see cash conversion push upwards of 90%. And this, if I just draw your eyes to the bottom table here, we wanted to touch base on free cash flow briefly to show how that bridges from net cash generated from operations down to free cash flow itself. And typically we have around one and a half million pounds of capex spending the business each year. Around half of that is on maintenance capex, keeping the facilities up, up and running and, and fit for purpose. And half of it's on growth capex, investing in innovation, automation, and also developing new products for R&D as well. Um, we do have some one-off investment which, uh, for MDR, over the next couple of years, and that's related to upgrading from MDD to MDR. This is a significant investment, but that will taper away after 2024. So free cash flow uh, for 2023 consensus is in the region of 7.6 million. That gives an FCF yield of around 16%. So I think that's attractive and worth calling out.
and leverage. Over the last couple of years, uh, to those of you who know our business well, we did a, an equity raise back in December 2020, which largely funded the acquisition of BBI Healthcare in June 2021. The acquisition we made in the end of last year uh, was funded mainly, at the upfront consideration was funded from our RCF, our revolving credit facility. So that pushed up our net debt at the end of 2022. So we had a, a spike in net debt uh, due to the timing of that acquisition. Um, but our, our leverage, therefore, if draw to the middle column of this table, is around 1.65 times on a net leverage basis at the end of last year. And that's against SFA defined EBITDA, just to be clear. That's, so SFA defined EBITDA adjusts for lease payments, treats them as a cash cost, as an expense in the PL. Otherwise, our adjusted EBITDA is around 1 million higher, and it would result in a slightly lower re- leverage ratio. Apologies for the detail there. Um, but um, it, what I wanted to point out was that as we move forward, we're going to be able to rapidly reduce our net leverage because of the high cash generation I've been talking about. And actually, since the end of last year, we, you'll have seen in one of our recent statements we've issued, leverage has come down to around 1.35, 1.4 times. So that's a big improvement since the end of last year and as we planned it. Um, and we expect leverage by the end of this year to come down well below 1.0 times. Uh, last thing I'll say on this slide is that there was deferred consideration for the acquisition of HLH, and that was based on them hitting certain targets, which I'm glad to say they achieved, so they got their payment. But it also means the business is performing as we expected it. So that, act, that consideration has all been paid since the end of last year and was funded through cash as opposed to needing the RCF facility, which is a sign of the cash generation continuing to come through. Balance sheets, uh, just briefly, more focused on working capital here. A strong balance sheet, largely comprising intangibles acquired through acquisitions over the years. But networking capital as a percentage of revenue, if I just draw your eyes to the, the bottom table here, uh, peaked at around 38% of revenue at the end of December 2022. That was driven up by a uh, build of our inventory, but also phasing off our revenues in our business. Our debtor book it's, uh, peaked at an exceptional high point at the end of last year. And we've had that cash collection come through at the beginning of 2023. And we can already see that our networking capital as a percentage of revenue has dropped by about 5% since the end of the year. And typically during the year, it's closer to 275 to 30% on a more normal basis. It peaks at the end of the year due to the phasing point on revenue. But as a business, we see our opportunity to drive down this further. And you know, the consensus again out there has got us getting to 30% as a percentage of revenue this year. That's going to reflect normalizing the inventory level. So holding them in line on a pound note basis, but as a proportion of our revenues, a much leaner operation because we're able to uh, be more flexed in the supply chain, which is helping, but also tighter debtor management. And also with a bigger portfolio of products and customers, we're able to uh, smooth out our revenue profile during the year, which helps with our, our phasing and working capital position at the end. And last slide from me is a financial roadmap which we felt would be useful to show. What we've got here is 2018 left-hand side. This is where we were. We were a 19 million pound business doing EBITDA margins of 14.5%. At that time, the VLG brand's revenues accounted for 35% of the business. Move forward to 2022 where we are today. We're a 44 million pound business making 20.5% EBITDA. The VLG brand's revenues now account for 53% of the business. We've grown between 24 to 25% over both the last five years and the five years before that. 
The guidance out there for the next two years, needless to say, is cautious guidance. Um, I think learning from some of the past as well there, and we've pleased we've been delivering on the numbers over the last um, uh, two issuances. And what we've got here is a cautious guidance taking us to 55 million by end of 2024. You'll see that in the Singers and Senkos notes, but increasing gross margin again up to 43%, EBITDA margins tracking towards 24%. And you'll have seen our AGM statement recently, um, back in May. We're, we're tracking to these numbers. And um, uh, this is a cautious outlook. There's no M&A in here, uh, to be clear. These are organic growth. And the VLG brand's revenues will continue to increase upwards from 53% to, as we are today to around 63% in two years' time. But what I wanted to point out more usefully, I feel, is the where can we be? in a few years' time. What's our financial ambition? Well, we say that in the next five years, by 2027, we, we could easily be a 100 million pound business. Um, that, you know, 100 million pound business by that point, pushing 50% gross margin, pushing EBITDA margins of around 30%, and um, bringing the VLG brand's revenue, part of the portfolio, up to around 75%. We don't want to take it to 100% because our customer brand's business is very important to us and gives us great operational leverage to improve the margin on those VLG brands. And through the combination of those two, the higher margin VLG brands, plus the increased operational leverage from our customer brand's business, that will help us deliver those margin improvements, which I think are modest. Um, then delivering that uh, revenue CAGR, just to put that back in context again, I keep talking about 25% over the last five years, 26% over the five years previous to that. Delivering that 2027 is doing 22% CAGR. So there's nothing out of the norm here. This is how we run the business, how we plan to run the business, half from organic, half from acquisitions. And we think this is very deliverable. But one of the key things that I wanted to get across today is that through the growth of EBITDA in the business, we've got ability to manage our net leverage at a much better and tolerable level to us. We can manage net leverage well below 1.0 times in getting to these sorts of numbers. There will be more M&A that we plan to do. We can't define what exactly that looks like right now, but more bolt-on M&A, which will help us accelerate uh, getting to 2027 type of uh, position. So uh, with that, I'll pause. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Um, hopefully that's been a useful run through for you. Um, we're now going to move uh, a bit more into the uh, brands that we have in the business. And these are the three key focus brands. We acquired Balance Active and Lyft in 2021 as part of the BBI acquisition, uh, roughly in the middle of the year. Eero we acquired in uh, 2022. I think as we said already and as Danny's made clear, our numbers going forward particularly this year, we're not uh, intending to do any M&A this year. We've bought some great brands, we've invested in our business and our factory and our development. Uh, we're going to focus on that and the organic growth of the business this year uh, and then look uh, to the future where we consider more uh, M&A. So I'm going to start with Balance Active. Uh, this is a brand in the area of women's intimate health. Uh, we acquired this from BBI. It came primarily with a product for bacterial vaginosis. Um, this is a pH imbalance in the vagina. It's often misdiagnosed as thrush, um, but it's treated differently. Initially, we had three products when we acquired the business, which was the bacterial vaginosis, the menopause moisture, and the soothing cream. And we've been working to develop more products in this area. So we've developed a product for thrush, uh, which isn't a drug, it's a medical device, and also uh, an intimate wash. Um, we currently only have a 3% uh, market share of the women's intimate health in the UK, and our target is to improve that market share. Um, currently, we only have 10% brand awareness on the brand. That's from recent research we've undertaken. And again, our target is to improve that. And what we're looking to do at the moment is uh, evolution of the brand. So improve some of the messaging around it, uh, look and feel, mission and values. Um, 
website update. We did a recent uh, study uh, on 5,000 women, which we're uh, analysing now. Improve the reach, uh, how many people see our products, where they can buy it, and how they hear about it. And then new product development expansion, which is really important for us to broaden the range. There are eight categories in women's intimate health. We're currently in five, we're targeting seven. Uh, so 24, we'll see some more development uh, in this area. If we look at the revenues of this uh, business, overall, 5.5 million of revenue in 2022. And that was split evenly between international and UK. So we are the number one bacterial vaginosis brand in the UK by volume, so 50% market share. Um, internationally, a lot of those sales come through uh, Bayer, which is one of the major partners we have in the business. We do have some other partners and I'll share those on the next slide. You'll see reasonably steady growth over the last few years. In particular in 2020, there were a lot of international launches. So you can see a pickup in revenues there as there was a little bit of a stock in effect, but we're delivering reasonable growth uh, of this portfolio going forward. Internationally, as I said, Bayer is a big partner of ours. We have a semi-exclusive relationship with Bayer. They have rights in 54 countries uh, for the brand and they uh, sell the brand under the Canis Balance uh, brand, which is part of the Caniston range which I'm sure some of you will recognise. So it's a very similar product to ours, uh, treats bacterial vaginosis, is made in the same factory, uh, but as a premium brand, they sell that at a much higher price point than ours. We have other partners, uh, Viatris, as you see there, Germania, Brola, some of the others. And we're also, uh, with Natalia and a team, looking to expand uh, the Balance Active product internationally. Under the semi-exclusive arrangement with Bayer, we're entitled to enter countries that they are already in with the Canis Balance product. Um, and therefore benefit from their entry into those markets, as we've seen recently with a launch in Brazil. In the UK market, just over 2 million of revenues, as I said, with the number one brand for bacterial vaginosis in the UK, growing at just under 8%. Uh, it's presented in uh, two forms. There's a gel in the long neck tube, you can see there on the left, and also a pessary format. The gel is by far the biggest seller. That's seven tubes in a box. Uh, we recently launched the value pack in the UK, 14 tubes in the box. And that's done very well, particularly in this environment of high cost, uh, cost of living pressures, where people are looking for value when they're shopping, not only going to discounters, but also uh, looking for value in the pricing. It's a growing brand. So if we look at the year to date, uh, Balance Active is the only bacterial vaginosis brand in growth uh, in the UK market. Market's back slightly 2% over the year. Canis Balance is priced much higher than um, Balance Active. And we think they've uh, seen pressure from people shopping for value. Uh, we've benefited from that with the growth in our brand. Um, and the FemFresh brand, which is relatively new, um, also after launch has not uh, proceeded very well. It's a trusted brand by millions of women. It's sold on Amazon. It's sold in all the major retailers. We have a symptom checker uh, online, and we've had 850,000 ladies have gone through that to check their symptoms, whether it's to see if it's ba bacterial vaginosis or thrush or something else. Um, and obviously, if it's bacterial vaginosis, they can click through and buy our product. Um, one of the reasons for developing a thrush product is because uh, quite a lot of those ladies will actually have thrush and we want them to be able to click through and buy a thrush product which we can provide. Uh, and as I said, they're also aided and trusted by really credible voices here in the UK. And we've got Dr. Shazzy here to, to tell you more about that. Uh, the range, uh, so we've got uh, three products there as you can see for bacterial vaginosis. The value pack is the yellow branded uh, unicorn pack there. The thrush cream, which is just going through launch the Moisture Gel, Intimate Soothing Cream, and we launched the Intimate Daily Foam Wash uh, this year. But what's important is that we continue to meet consumer demands going forward. And consumer demands are always changing, whether it's healthcare, whether it's uh, any area of consumer markets, they, they want progression, they want new products, they want development. 
And so for us, there's three areas where we're going to be working here. So remote working is getting less and less. I'm sure it will continue for a long time, but uh, on-the-go products are becoming more relevant. So something you can have in your handbag, uh, in your jacket, whatever at work. And so we're working on a number of those uh, products going forward. Well-being is really important and preventative. Um, what's really important about our product, um, Balance Active, is it's completely natural. Uh, and so it's recommended for, for people because of its natural base. But for well-being and prevent, prevention, also we're looking at probiotics and food supplements, which are becoming more common. And finally, the ageing population, more in the area of menopause uh, and incontinence. So those are areas of development for us for future products. So for us, Balance Active is about a different approach to women's health. Empowering women uh, in the area of intimate health with expert advice, natural solutions, and dealing with every stage of, of their life. Um, and as uh, Charlie put together for us, enlighten, encourage, and empower. Uh, with that, I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. Shazia Malik uh, up to the, the lectern. Um, Dr. Malik's a consultant obstetrician, gynaecologist. Um, we're very lucky to have Shazia with us here today because she's been um, delivering babies into the world for the last 24 hours. So uh, um, thank you so much for the last 72 hours, excuse me. Um, so thank you, Shazia, and uh, I'll hand over to you. Hello, good afternoon. Um, Thank you for the introduction. Uh, so why am I here? Well, there are two reasons. One, I believe in the brand. And secondly, because I've been a gynaecologist now for 30 years. So um, I feel I'm at a point now where I can, you know, with confidence, talk about women's intimate health in a way that they feel comfortable with. But um, I, I have two teenage daughters and uh, it's important, I think, with the young generation now to be A, be able to talk about it, B, to educate them and uh, C, to find products uh, such as Balance Active, uh, which aren't necessarily medicated. Um, and that's what I like about the brand, actually. So if I look at my youngsters and the women that I see in my clinics, I, I get lots of mothers bringing their teenage daughters to see me now and lots of women who come with discharge, who are worried, who don't know what's going on. And the key change in women's intimate health over the last few years is that um, women want to find natural solutions. Uh, they don't want to be given drugs for everything. They are actually increasingly resistant uh, to using hormones or drugs for anything, never mind their intimate health. So this is where I think the brand uh, is going to grow and why it fits in to the current climate. So why uh, bacterial vaginosis? So uh, there's a lot of men in the audience. I don't know how much you know about bacterial vaginosis. So let me tell you, you probably have heard about thrush and caniston, haven't you? Because they've, they've really pushed that product. And so vaginal discharge, which lots of women don't don't know is normal, um, has become synonymous with a yeast infection or thrush. Uh, but actually, BV is twice as common as thrush in women. So it's often not diagnosed or misdiagnosed. And that's why this uh, discussion is important. So discharge doesn't equal caniston and it doesn't equal thrush. Um, and most of the time it may, or certainly two thirds of the time, it may be BV. And um, BV is an infection, so uh, it, it's caused by an imbalance in the acid pH of the vagina, but it's actually an overgrowth of 
unhealthy or abnormal bacteria. And so that's why women get the symptoms. And they need to be able to diagnose it in order to treat it properly. So I see lots of women who come, I've got this discharge, I've been using canisterin or I've been using a particular wash and it hasn't gone. And it hasn't gone because you were treating something you actually don't have. And sometimes you may be treating something as an abnormality when it's normal for you. That's why BV is important. And it's important because mostly it occurs in women in their reproductive years, so women who are sexually active. It's also actually quite common in women who are past the menopause. And just this morning, um, in between my deliveries, I was typing a quick um, thing for the Times talking about menopause and uh, HRT and what women, you know, should we give it to everybody? Uh, what we should do for all women who are 50% of the population is empower them to think about and talk about their women's health. And so the menopause, actually BV incidence has a spike after the menopause as well. And back again, it's because your vaginal mucosa changes, therefore you're more prone to get an overgrowth in abnormal bacteria. And therefore you need a product that is going to help your vaginal environment to become healthier and maintain normal healthy bacteria. And so why did the brand approach me? I've done lots of articles on vaginal health over the last few years, and the vaginal microbiome is one of my areas of interest. So why is the vaginal pH and environment important? So it's the vagina naturally has millions of bacteria, um, billions of bacteria. And so when we talk about bacteria, we automatically assume that it's something dirty or it's something abnormal. And so part of my mission is educating women that your vagina, A, is a self-cleaning organ, so you don't need to uh, wash it. And B, it's full of millions of bacteria which keep it healthy. But there are certain things that happen to women which can alter the pH and therefore the bacterial balance. And that's where BV is more likely to occur. So what are the key things that happen to women um, that, that can affect the pH, that can affect the um, uh, bacteria? So pre-pubertal girls don't get BV. It becomes a problem once you start your periods and then can continue after the menopause. So what happens when you go through what we call the menarche or puberty, your periods start. And what the reason you have periods is that your hormones are changing. So as your ovaries start to become active and you go through puberty, your hormones through your menstrual cycle change. And hormones also affect your bacteria in your vagina. They affect your acid pH. So it's extraordinarily common to see women who say that I'm getting a discharge or a smell just before my period or just after your period. What actually a lot of girls are not taught at school is that your vaginal discharge changes throughout your menstrual cycle. So as your estrogen levels rise in the first half of your cycle, your discharge then becomes clear and more watery as you're about to ovulate to facilitate passage of sperm. Then as your estrogen drops but your progesterone levels change, the mucus can become thicker 
And then as the pH changes, that's where bacteria can overgrow and you can get a smell or an abnormal discharge just before you start your period. We don't know why some women are more prone to get BV around menstruation than others. It could be that their vaginal microbiome isn't as healthy and as balanced as it should be, which is why we discuss it. It could be that some women, for example, are just immunocompromised compared to others, or they're stressed, all sorts of things can feed into that. So BV and menstruation is a key area that can be a problem and that needs to be addressed. And as I said to you before, it's more common in women who are in their reproductive years. And why is that? It's because they're sexually active. And if you're sexually active and you're exposed to semen, and lots of women, still don't have the message that they should actually use condoms to protect them from STIs. And they seem very keen to get off hormones or have a coil and uh, not use anything artificial in their body. But the pH of semen is different to the pH of your vagina. And so when you have sex without a condom and you're exposed to semen, that changes the pH. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have sex, of course, but it can mean that in some women that balance shifts and they're more likely to get uh, BV. Interestingly, women in same-sex relationships, if they share sex toys, they can pass BV on to each other. So that's a conversation I have. You don't pass BV on to your male partners and your male partner isn't giving you BV, but certainly being sexually active and being exposed to semen can increase your incidence of getting it. And why is that important if you're sexually active? If you get BV that is untreated or you have recurrent BV, you are more likely to get sexually transmitted infections. So women with untreated BV, and why is BV a problem? It's a problem because it changes the bacterial balance of your vagina. It changes your mucosal immunity and protection. So therefore, that's probably why you're more likely to get STIs when you're exposed to them. You're less protected if you have untreated BV or recurrent BV. And that's why another reason it's important to treat it in sexually active women. There's another group of women that I've been seeing over the last two, three years. I've been seeing more of them. So they have a hormone coil or any coil. And for some reason, they present with BV that doesn't seem to be able to go away despite anti antibiotics or balance active sometimes. Um, So I'm trying to shift them on to balance active because what we don't want to do is repeated courses of antibiotics. And if a coil is the preferred method of contraception or the only one she can use, we need to find a solution. So that's another group of women that we see. And excessive sweat. Now, why is that important? Well, since lockdown, everybody has been either in the gym, cycling in Regent's Park, I can't get through in the mornings, yeah, (laughs) and that's women as well, Um, or they have been running. So the number of women who I see now who are addicted to running or the gym has massively increased since lockdown. And what happens is that they're wearing the latest trendy gear, they're going to the gym before work, they're rushing off to work, and then they're probably going to the gym after work as well. They may or may not have time for a shower, but if they do, they've not understood that your intimate health is affected by heat and sweat. And so there's a group of fitness addicted women that I see with persistent or 
troublesome uh, vaginal discharge, which may or may not be thrush or BV. Um, so th these are triggers for BV uh, that we talk about with the women. So what are the, I don't know if you all want to know the symptoms of BV, you probably don't, so I'm going to skip over it. And most of you are male, so you won't be, you know, I, you're not going to suffer this problem, but your partners need to know. So I would urge you to direct them to our website. It's been a great pleasure working with Charlie, who has overhauled it. And why have we overhauled the website? Because it's frightening at the lack of knowledge. And that starts, and in fact, we had a webinar a couple of weeks ago where we were talking with different uh, experts in female health, sexual health, or whatever. Um, and it was a pleasure to take part of that. And that was on the back of this survey that Venture Life have just done with 5,000 women. A key problem in women's health care is the lack of knowledge. And whose fault is that? Well, it's our fault, probably, as doctors. It's our fault in schools. You know, as, as mothers, we're now opening up these conversations and it needs to start young. But if you don't know your anatomy, if you don't know that vaginal discharge is normal and what is normal discharge, you're certainly not going to be able to diagnose what is abnormal and whether it's thrush or BV. Um, so BV, for example, doesn't cause it to, is, is an important thing. It does in a small group of women, but it presents normally with an abnormal discharge that has a fishy odour. There's a group of women that don't know they have BV, so we diagnose it in our clinics and then we have to treat it. And what we don't want is repeated courses of antibiotics why is that? Because they then also kill the healthy bacteria and you create a vicious circle. And also you have groups, as I said, the youngsters don't want to take medication. I've talked a little bit about why I uh, recommend Balance Active, uh, but the key thing is that it stops me having to give repeated courses of antibiotics. It's user-friendly. You can have it in your cupboard and use it repeatedly. If you're getting the symptoms, you can go to the website, have a look. If you think you've got BV, you can use it. If you've used it and you don't have BV, you are not going to harm yourself. So that's a really important part of any treatment is that you are not harming. So it's not just treating, it's not to cause harm. So Balance Active, how does it work? Well, it works in two ways. The first is to change the pH of the vagina, so to get it back up to the more uh, level that it should be, which helps uh, prevent the overgrowth of the abnormal bacteria. But the vagina is... It's a mucosal surface. So if you think of other mucosal surfaces that you know is, for example, inside your mouth. So if you want to keep your mouth ha uh, healthy or any mucosal surface, you need to have a barrier that then protects that surface. It protects it from friction. It protects it from infection and uh, from pH changes. So the vaginal mucosa requires um, glycogen in the cells to keep them plump, to keep the vagina moisturized, and to keep it uh, in a balanced state. And so Balance Active works in both those ways. So it's not just the pH, it's to help with the glycogen. And that's why it can also help postmenopausal women, because as their estrogen levels drop, their vaginal mucosa becomes thinner. So a lot of the symptoms that women get 
not just with BV, but with soreness or dryness or itching after the menopause, is the changes in the vaginal mucosa. So that's where Balance Active uh, can help. Because it's got two formulations, it's more user-friendly. Some women will prefer to put a capsule, other women will prefer to put a tube. It allows them to choose what works for them. Um, so that's why I think it's, it's a good brand to work with. Um, it's I've worn their colours today as well. Um, so I like the fact that it's it's green. Uh, I think that's good. In the sort of current climate, something green is good. It feels more user-friendly. It feels safer. Um, the website is now starting to reflect it as well. So let's talk about women's health and where Balance Active can go. Um, so what am I seeing in my practice? As you all know, the NHS is on its knees uh, for all sorts of different reasons. But what that means for patients is that they can't get appointments. So, so they can't get appointments with their GP. And if they manage to get an appointment with their GP, they're then going to wait six months to see me in the NHS. That doesn't help you if you've got a nasty discharge, if it's got a smell, so you're afraid to go to school you're afraid to go to work, you can't have sexual relationships because you're embarrassed about it. It doesn't help you if you have to wait six months to get help. So what are you going to do? You're going to turn to social media and the internet. And that's why social media is so important. And that's why I think the campaign and the direction you're taking, Charlie, is extremely important. And I see it with my two teenage daughters, the rubbish that they buy off TikTok. And I'm forever saying it is not true. Do you realize you've been scammed? You know, don't worry, mummy, my friends, blah, blah, blah. So women, teenagers, even older women, working women, if you're a working woman in the city, if you can afford it, you're going to come and see me, yeah? and I will help you. But if you can't afford it, or if you're working with four or five children and you don't have time for yourself, you're going to have a look online, or you're going to go into Boots or go to Amazon and buy something that looks like it might help you. Um, what Balance Active needs to do is be the prime product uh, for BV, so that when you want to access uh, treatment, you're looking at this product. And to do that, you need to be able to go to their website and diagnose what you have. So I think that's uh, a real area for uh, growth for this product. As I said at the beginning of my talk, the increasing reluctance to either trust some health professionals or to use hormones or to use medicated products in millennials is a key factor in how they approach health and how they mismanage their own health, actually. So I think that's a real growth area simply because women are getting frustrated and they will want help. The cost of living crisis uh, is important because as I said, women may not be able to access private health care. Um, they, they need to get on with their lives. And so therefore, they're look looking for products not only that will help them, but that they can afford. And um, the price of everything is going up now. And so Balance Active needs to remain competitive in that market. Um, proactive self-care. So well-being, health being your own best advocate, brands need to provide the right information with the right authority that people believe and then actually 
the feedback is, you helped me. I made the diagnosis, I treated it, and it's a brand that I trust. Yeah? And in terms of where I see this going and where I see my own practice going it is getting an increased uh, share in social media. That is the future. And the reason it's important is that it's the future of all healthcare and in particular women's and intimate healthcare. Okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, that, that was great. Um, uh, really enlightening for us, so thank you. Uh, I'm going to talk about Lyft now, which is our next uh, focus brand. Um, and we've got Vanessa who's going to come and talk to us uh, as our key opinion leader later. Um, so Lyft is a, a glucose supplement. Um, this is a product we acquired from BBI Healthcare uh, back in 2021. Um, it's delivered by liquid shots or chewables. Uh, so chewable tablets you take in your mouth, and I'll show you those in a moment. Um, and our aim is to be the number one energy management brand for everyday and sports energy, but whilst remaining um, a source of glucose brand of choice for the diabetic community. So at the moment, principally it'd be diabetics who take this product, recommended by pharmacists. So if they're having a hyperglycemic episode, they'll take it. What's really good about the Lyft product, it's a metered dose of glucose, so you know exactly how much you're taking when you use it. Um, and that's really important for the diabetics. And what we want to do with this brand is own the space more than we do now. Um, fill out with new product development so we grow the brand and grow the, the business uh, and work with KOLs like Vanessa to influence and drive people to the use of the product. So as I said, it comes in chewable tablets on the left here. So we do 10s and we do 50s, um, different flavours, and also in glucose shots. The brand itself over the last three years has grown very well. So you see over 30% compound annual growth rate. And at the moment, we've got a 27% share of uh, the UK market for these uh, glucose supplements. Dextro is the biggest competitor in this space. Um, Dextro is not so easy to take for the user, particularly for the diabetic. With Lyft, you get that metered uh, measured dose, so that's really valuable. But as you can see there, the Lyft brand has been growing. It's getting stronger in terms of market presence, and Dextro has been uh, moving backwards. The majority of the sales at the moment from this brand are in the UK. Uh, one of our targets is to internationalise this product more as we go forward, uh, also along with the new product development that we're working on. It's the fastest growing glucose supplement, so it is ahead of the category growth by nearly 9%. It's the number one glucose shot in the vitamin mineral supplement section. Uh, it's widely available in Amazon. It's well distributed in the UK. Top 10 ranking in Amazon and a 47% awareness in the consumer group, uh, which is a very strong awareness uh, for the brand. Uh, what makes Lyft different? Well, it's got no artificial stimulants. There's no caffeine, no taurine, uh, free from gluten, sodium, and all those other aspects, which is very important, particularly for the diabetic user. It's fast acting. That's very important as well. If you're having a hypoglycemic uh, episode, you need it to work quickly. And it's uh, vegetarian and vegan friendly. It's measured dose and it's low calorie. Again, that's important for the diabetic user. And also it's portable. Uh, what's really important is the packaging. You can take it around and carry it in your, in your bag, your handbag, uh, your case, whatever. So um, really usable product and, and suitable for many there. Uh, we like to say that it's uh, for when your body needs the glucose most, and that could be in sports performance. It could be uh, for long days, late nights, um, and as it's being used at the moment, blood glucose management. So looking forward, what we're doing with this brand in particular is to move it into that um, those areas of sport, sports performance, long days. We're not talking about the aggressive gym user. We're talking about everyday use for energy. Uh, on the go, 
um, say in the car at work or, or when you travel. Um, so that's the brand, um, and I'm delighted to introduce uh, Vanessa, who's going to talk to us now. So uh, Vanessa, also known as the Diabetic Health Coach, qualified trainer. Uh, uh, Vanessa's been a, a type 1 diabetic since the age of three, so she knows the condition really well, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, what she's got to share with us. Thank you very much for the introduction, and yes, as, as you mentioned, I have type 1 diabetes. I've had type 1 diabetes since the age of three years old, and it's played a huge part um, in my life, just as Lyft has. Um, so I'm going to go through, obviously, how the product has made such a huge difference to my life, living with type 1 diabetes. When it comes to type 1 diabetes, it's all about managing glucose levels. And what's really important is to treat low blood sugars when they arise. And that's exactly what Lyft helps me to do. So uh, as I say, I'm a qualified personal trainer, I'm an online health coach, and my niche audience are people who also live with diabetes, uh, both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And yeah, as I say, I'm also a board certified behaviour analyst as well, so helping people to change their healthy habits and healthy behaviours for the better. So just a little bit of an overview about diabetes. 4.7 million people in the UK have diabetes. Now, there's so many different types of diabetes. The main two that a lot of people talk about, type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So around 5 million people in the UK living with diabetes um, and also 1.9 million missed routine checks between 2021 to 2022. In terms of the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes, this is kind of... Um, this is what gets mixed up a lot with people because we, we tend to just say diabetes. If people say to me, uh, you know, what, what condition do you have? I just say diabetes. Um, but when it comes to the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes, so type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition. So I was diagnosed when I was three years old. And basically what it means is that the immune system destroys the insulin-producing cells in the pancreas. So then I now have to do the job of my pancreas. Um, so I have to administer insulin I have insulin injections and um, some people also have insulin pumps as well and it's all about just basically doing the job of an organ, managing glucose levels the best I can. Uh, it's not easy, it is a full-time job um, but luckily there's so many, so much technology these days that's making it a lot easier. Um, so as, as I mentioned, only treatment is to inject or infuse insulin via pump therapy. So when it comes to type 2 diabetes, this is the most common form of diabetes. 90% of people who have diabetes have type 2 diabetes. Usually affects uh, the over 40s, um, but it is becoming a lot more common in younger people. A lot of the time it is linked in with lifestyle. Um, and this is basically where the body becomes resistant to the insulin that pancreas is producing. And a lot of the time it is managed by you know, healthier lifestyle, diet and exercise and also medication in some circumstances. So what is a hypo? Now, this is a term that I tend to use quite a lot, especially, you know, day to day, because as I mentioned, when it comes to type 1 diabetes, it is having to manage glucose levels and basically stop them from dropping, stop them from going too high. Now there's two terms, there's hyperglycemia, which is low blood sugar, and then there's also hyperglycemia, which is high blood sugar. So for myself, I, I'd say I've got quite good control of my diabetes. I mean, I've had it for such a long time. 
Um, I wouldn't say I was very well controlled as a teenager. Uh, being a teenager growing up with type 1 diabetes is quite difficult. But as I've got a lot older, um, I have come to be able to manage it a lot better. And again, using products such as, as Lyft has really helped with that. So in terms of what hypo is, it happens when the blood glucose level drops too low. And basically, it, 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 is, it is dangerous. Um, I mean, if I was to give you my experience of what a hypo feels like, it could be dizziness, it could be feeling a little bit shaky, you know, sweating, confusion. Um, and again, it depends on how low um, my glucose levels have gone as well. Um, there have been instances where my glucose level has dropped um, very low, like years, not any, not any time recently, but years ago, um, I was actually in a swimming pool when I was 15 years old and I ended up uh, having a really severe hyperglycemia episode and I woke up on the side of the swimming pool and anyway, I, I was okay. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's the thing when it comes to hyperglycemia, it can be very dangerous and that's why it is really, really important to have something that is going to help to get our glucose levels up very quickly. Um, so in terms of glucose tablets, all shots are usually recommended um, as, as they do enter the bloodstream quickly. In terms of my own experience with Lyft, it has played a really huge role. I've actually used Lyft for years now. And what I love about it is just how easy it is to take. So I've, I've, I mean, I've got my shot here and, you know, if my glucose levels to, were to drop slightly before I was due to come up and talk, uh, they're fine, by the way, um, I could just easily take a quick, quick shot and then my glucose levels will come up straight away. And as, as was mentioned as well, the fact that it's controlled in terms of the, the grams of glucose and also the calories as well, it makes it very, very easy. Um, to you know, know what I'm taking and to track what I'm taking as well. One thing that's very difficult when it comes to type 1 diabetes, and a lot of my clients tell me this as well, and we can all relate, when glucose levels are low, sometimes we get quite hungry. That's another sign of hyperglycemia. And then it's very, very easy to overconsume. So overconsume, you know, sweets or whatever it is that we've got access to at the time. And it's kind of knowing how much we need to take to get the glucose levels back up. And this is where Lyft comes in because, again, it's all controlled in terms of how much we need um, to help to get the glucose levels back up to an adequate level. So it makes a huge, huge, huge difference. What I also love as well is the packaging. Um, so when it comes to other, um, you know, other products, um, you know, other glucose tablets, they would, you know, be in paper packaging. And then if you were to accidentally get that wet, for example, you could no longer use those glucose tablets. Whereas Lyft, again, the packaging, really, really sturdy packaging that I can just shove in my bag. And if my drink leaks in my bag, it's it's all good. Um, so yeah, it's, it has made a huge difference. And especially as well with, you know, I like to travel. I like to, you know, go on holiday. It makes it so much easier when traveling just to be able to quickly treat my hypos using Lyft products. So the science behind the brand. So glucose, as I mentioned, quickest form uh, of energy to our bodies, especially when it comes to treating hyperglycemia. It contains glucose in a ready-to-use form, meaning that it doesn't need to be digested before it gets to work. One thing that my diabetes consultant used to say to me is, make sure that you don't treat your hypos with chocolate, even though I really wanted to, because when you've got type 1 diabetes, you, you kind of, you've got to limit the, 
let's say the sugary foods that you can have. So when when your glucose levels drop, it's an opportunity to have something with uh, a lot more sugar in. So uh, yeah, I was told not to have chocolate, and that's because again, it doesn't it doesn't work as quickly to get the glucose levels back up as Lyft does. Glucose absorbed easily in the body by the blood, raising the blood sugar levels quickly, providing the user with a surge of energy and, and blood sugar levels. And that's really important because, as I say, when my glucose levels drop, you, I, I mean, the symptoms, you can't really explain them. The, the, you just feel a little bit confused. There's been times where I've not been able to get my words out um, due to the lack of glucose in my system. And by using Lyft, it just helps me to just get back to normal so much more quickly, which is, again, absolutely fantastic. And once glucose has been transported to the cells, a process called cellular respiration releases the stored energy and converts it to energy that cells can then use. So, yeah, a really, really, really important thing when it comes to treating low blood sugars in type 1 diabetes and could also be the case in people with type 2 diabetes as well if, if they're, they're medicated. Um, again, I'm not a doctor, but I know that speaking with people who have who have type 2 diabetes who use insulin, for example, uh, they may need to use uh, products as well to bring the glucose levels up. So what about wider population who don't have diabetes? So as I mentioned, I'm, I'm also a personal trainer. So I do also have clients who don't have diabetes, one-to-one clients. And when it comes to training, obviously glucose levels do tend to drop during sessions. Um, so it's it's really, really useful when it comes to medium to high intensity exercise that requires sustained levels of activity. So I, I actually say to my clients who don't have diabetes, I, you know, just try one of these, this will give you a little bit more energy. And yeah, I do get a lot of positive feedback. Um, lift can be used during exercise to quickly restore glucose levels um, and to help maintain sports performance. And independent research carried out by Lift reveals that 87% of consumers have dual motivations for using glucose products across both sports and uh, both sports energy and lifestyle energy. And products that are applicable across both usage motivations have the greatest potential. Uh, again, which offers an opportunity for Lift. Um, I mean. If I didn't have diabetes, I would 100% still be using Lyft for sports performance. Uh, so, yeah, been an absolute life changer. And, uh, you know, it, it does, it saves my life, which is crazy, but it really does. <laughs> so, again, as I mentioned, this presents an opportunity for Lyft to leverage its, its expertise and heritage in glucose energy management um, and to create clearly defined consumer spaces within the sports and lifestyle energy uh, so yeah, as I mentioned, I, I highly recommend it to all of my clients with diabetes, but also all my clients without diabetes as well. That's, that's me. Thanks very much, Melissa. Um, um, we're going to have uh, one last set of slides uh, on the Eero product. Um, so Eero was a product that we acquired... Uh, at the end of 2020, as Danny referred to in his presentation, we acquired a business called HL Healthcare. So Eerol is a meter-dose olive oil spray. Uh, it's clinically proven. It soften and remove the earwax. Um, people of all ages can suffer from this, particularly children, uh, obviously people with hearing aids, but also uh, a lot of people through all of their life. It pre prevents um, and soothes itching as well. It's got a, a patented actuator and liquid formulation. 
Um, the great thing about the actuator is when it goes into the ear and it sprays, it covers the whole of the ear canal. It's not like dripping olive oil in that then can leak out. Um, so you get good coverage and not leakage. And it, and it uses uh, pharmaceutical grade olive oil, so very high percentage of olive oil here. Um, and this is a product that had been uh, developed by a chap who we bought the company from. We'd run it for 15, 20 years. Um, done a lot of work with um, audiologists and key opinion leaders. Hillary is here uh, to speak to us today. He's done a lot of work with the product over the years. Um, we saw that this is a really interesting opportunity to expand and grow this product internationally uh, into distribution to develop new products. And we'll, we'll talk through what we're going to do there. So as a market size in the UK, uh, the earwax treatment market is just under 17 million. Earwell is the number two product in the market uh, with about a 12% market share. Otex is the dominant player. Uh, it's a bigger brand, bigger range. Um, and there is one a recent entrance, uh, CL Ear, uh, which is about 8% market share. Uh, in developing this brand, we're looking to launch new products in the autumn. We're working on um, a baby product uh, that will go into stores. It'll give us the opportunity for multi-siting. So at the moment, this product in the UK predominantly is sold through Boots, just in the single ENT sighting. But with the, the baby ear roll that allows us to get into the baby area, into the children's section in retailers. A lot of retailers it's not currently sold in, so Lorenzo will be talking about that later and where we're going to sell it in further retailers. We put it on Amazon. Uh, we're going to accelerate the marketing and the activities there, expand distribution. Um, and there's a really high level of recommendation endorsement. And you'll hear when Hillary speaks about uh, the work that she's done with the product and how valuable it is um, in its, in its space. Uh, a quick uh, highlight of the revenues here. So it's grown very nicely over the last three years, about 5 million of revenue now. Half of that's in the UK, half of that's internationally. Internationally, it's mainly in Scandinavia. There's a lot of international markets still available for us that we're going to be targeting. In the UK, as I said, good opportunities to increase uh, distribution. Um, so a lot to go for with this product. And what we're focusing on here with the product is growth. So refresh and grow the brand. Um, that will be packed refresh. You'll see that coming through later this year, distribution expansion, as I've mentioned. Develop and distribute NPD to fill the gaps. Um, it's a really good product, but uh, you're using NPD, we can get into other areas. And further professional recommendations and, and endorsements um, that we can have with the brand. Now, we want to be a leading brand in the earwax market. Obviously, Otex is a bigger brand than us at the moment, but it's a fantastic product, and we think there's a lot that can be done with it. It facilitates both industry and customer needs. And there's uh, five components here that, that are quite important. So it is a natural product. 15% um, of audiologists actively discourage the use of hydrogen peroxide drops and 85% recommend Eerol. So really good professional endorsement. It's no waste, it's a metered dose, goes into the ear, um, coats the ear and doesn't uh, drip out. Easy to use, as I said, no drops. Uh, a lot of the competitive products have drops or even people just use olive oil, can be quite messy. Um, it's trusted. So Earwell is recommended by 93% of ear, ear care specialists. And just uh, to be clear on this data, on the left-hand box, that's audiologists, but the right-hand box with 93% is um, ear care specialists uh, in the round. And it's easy to find. So it's the fastest way to solve the issue. Uh, you can find it in the uh, pharmacies. And then finally, on here before I introduce Hillary, um, we've got another product in this range. It's a much smaller product, Earwell Swim. This is really helpful for if you're uh, traveling abroad, so it's convenient if you're going particularly uh, to places where swimming pools are not as chlorinated, risk of bacterial infection. And so again, you spray this in the ear, it puts a coating inside, a really useful product. My children suffer a lot from this and they've used this product, it works really well. So um, that's only sold in the UK at the moment, that'll be going through a medical device uh, process going forward and we'll expect to expand that uh, further.
So really interesting product, but I'd really like you to hear from uh, Hilary now because she knows a lot more about it than I do. Um, so Hilary, if I can introduce you, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Um, Hilary's known the product for a long time, uh, been involved in a lot of the early clinical studies as well. So uh, I look forward to hearing uh, from you. Thank you very much. And I, I do love the opportunity to talk about wax. And um, as I run through the slides, I'm going to begin with that. Wax is uh, natural secretion in the body. We know that 20% of people suffer with a problem related to wax, but you also have to understand why we produce wax. And it is there to protect us from bacterial and fungal infections. We know that we will produce wax because it's going to help to lubricate our ear canal as well as to protect us from the ear infections. But the ear canal is the only skin-lined cul-de-sac in the body, and we know the nature of skin is to shed dead skin cells, rejuvenate and get a new lining. Ear canal in an adult is about 24 millimetres long, so as the skin sheds, it will move out towards the entrance of the ear canal, where it then mixes with the glands which are producing the wax and sebum, and the hope is the hairs will then wax, waft the wax out to the entrance of the ear canal where it can be wiped. Now, if we look at the reasons why people seem to suffer with the problem related to wax, it is related to people's diet. We know people with a high fat content diet are more likely to produce soft, squidgy wax. We know the nature of wet wax, soft, squidgy wax is also liked by bacteria, so it's also associated with a greater risk of ear infections. And that's actually the, the group of people that I would tend to use the swim ear on, because even though we talk about people using it to reduce the amount of water that gets in the ear, I find actually using the natural bactericidal activity of the tea tree spray hugely reduces the number of ear infections that we will see in both adults and children. There is a link that we see with regards to people who are sweating a lot. So it's also like Dr. Malik said, it's also people who are sweating a lot who are also often have issues with the pH within the ear canal as well. And that's why there is an advantage in using the natural products. The link with regards to breast cancer is there's a number of research studies looking at the link between the similarity of the apocrine glands in the breast and the similarity of the apocrine glands in the ear canal. And they were wondering, is that link purely because when people have breast cancer, the apocrine glands are known to over-secrete and hence they're also over-secreting in the ear canal. But there's actually much more studies looking at the link between anxiety and stress and an overproduction of wax. So could we not argue that the reason why people with breast cancer are suffering an overproduction of wax is down to the anxiety and stress related to the disease more than the similarity of the apocrine glands? And we know that we have more people who are anxious and stressed in the world and hence we're seeing more problems with regards to wax. We know as you get older, your metabolism slows down. So the movement of the wax, the debris out of the ear canal takes much longer. The longer it takes, the more likely it is to build up. The longer it's in the ear canal, you tend to find the heavier it will be, the hardier it will be. So again, the more difficulty it has in coming out of the ear canal. As you get older, your hairs get coarser. So the hairs at the entrance of the ear canal tend to trap the wax rather than to wafting it to where it can be wiped. And if you look at the Guinness Book of Records, they've got a photograph of the man with the longest ear hair, and he's pulling it out 10 inches on either side. But you can imagine a small, narrow ear canal with hair wrapped around it is, is going to trap any wax, any debris within the ear canal. We know that there is a 
higher proportion of problems with wax with people who have a learning disability. And it's very difficult to get ethical approval to do a study on people with a learning disability, but I would certainly see a higher rate of patients with a problem with wax who have a learning disability. We know people with trisomy 21 have narrower ear canals, but actually it will be people who are on the autistic spectrum and across the ranges of the learning disability will have a problem related to wax. Now, I am going to talk a little bit more on the slides, but the wonderful thing that I find about the ear oil spray is because it's a spray. We know the ceramidus glands, the wax producing glands, are fully covering the entrance of the ear canal. Drops are known to just pull down the bottom of the ear canal. And they've stuck iodine into eardrops and they've taken photographs of the distribution in the ear canal and it just pulls down the bottom of the ear canal. So the advantage of the spray is it will fully cover the ear canal. So if you've got a child with a learning disability who often suffers with itchy ears, it's very difficult to persuade them to lie still so you can insert the olive oil drops in order to control the itchy ear or also to soften the wax. So what I find the ease of using the ear oil spray and slotting into the entrance of the ear canal, one squirt will fully cover the wax and that will hopefully be enough to then soften it so we're able to remove it. So itching, we know the people who fiddle with their ears will produce more wax. You're milking the glands and encouraging them to secrete. Now we've done research and we know about 32% of people will use a cotton bud or clean their ears and fiddle with their ears. If I say to somebody who's been using a cotton bud for donkey's years, don't stick anything in your ear that's smaller than your elbow, the odds are they will not follow my advice. So what I do is say to them, listen, when do you use your cotton bud? After your shower, after your bath, when you have an itchy ear. If you use one spray of the ear oil instead, I promise you the itching will get less. So the dreaming of the cotton bud will get less. And you will find the use of the ear oil spray will settle that itching and those symptoms that you get within the ear. And the advantage of that for me is I will see you with less problems with regards to your wax. So the symptoms of wax buildup, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't have a passion about wax if it just gave you a blocked ear and actually even if it reduced your hearing. I'm here because we know wax buildup can cause vertigo, so problems with regards to your balance. We know it can cause tinnitus, any ringing sensation that you have that's not from an external environment. It can cause conductive hearing loss, and we know it's the commonest cause of reversible hearing loss in older adults. And we also know it makes people more prone to external ear infections, otitis externa. If you've got a lump of wax stuck at the entrance of your ear canal and you go swimming, showering, bathing, you will have entry of water into the ear canal. And we know there's often bacteria in that water. Part of that water is going to be blocked from coming out by the nature of the wax at the entrance of the ear canal. You've then got a moist, warm, dark environment. That's what bacteria loves and that's what will trigger the ear infection. So we now know that there is no financial incentive for GPs to remove wax. There's no remuneration for the service. And as a result, there's no NHS funding for adults to have wax removed. So you're finding on every high street, all the hearing aid providers are now running wax removal services. It's about £80 to have an audiologist. 
or an ear care specialist nurse to remove wax from people's ears privately. It's obviously cheaper than going to see your ENT surgeon who's going to charge you for the consultation as well as charge you having the procedure to be done as well as the diagnosis of wax. And that can amount to about £500. So it is cheaper. But if you've got somebody who suffers with a problem related to wax, especially when people have got a hearing aid, they could be attending this person every four months. So suddenly that £80 for every visit amounts to a lot of money that people are expected to find. So we know since... COVID-19, that people have more time to fiddle with their ears. We know people are more anxious and stressed. And as a result, we are seeing more problems with regards to wax. So the best thing we can do for people, and certainly to make my life much easier, is to educate people about how to look after their ears. So that's the main reason why I use and recommend Earwell. And I've been using it since the beginning. And more than anything, it's really user friendly. So we know that drops pull down at the entrance of the ear canal. We also know they don't go further down into the ear canal, which is about 24 millimetres long and into an adult. Um, we know that the full coverage of the ear spray within the ear canal does reduce itching in people's ears. I also find if I just say to people, just use it for three consecutive nights before the appointment. And if you forgot, don't worry, on your way into the hospital, there's a pharmacy on the ground floor. If you buy it, just use it when you're sitting out in the waiting room. You will find me removing the wax. It's going to be much quicker, so it's going to be better for you. And it actually means that it's going to be less uncomfortable because the wax is going to be better lubricated. And it's also going to be more likely to be able to removed. So I found that Earol has honestly revolutionised my working life. It has made a huge difference in the amount of time I spend with people and actually the patient's perception of the appointment. So there's no doubt we have done research. We do know that the Earol olive oil spray does help to remove earwax. Now, why would I use Earol rather than the other brands in the market? I think Otex is purely because it's a historical brand. People have heard it before. We know that if you use sodium bicarbonate drops, first of all, research has told us any liquid in the ear will soften wax. The problem is wax is naturally slightly acidic, which is what protects it from infection. So if I stick sodium bicarbonate or hydrogen peroxide into the ear canal, it might soften the wax, but once the wax is removed, it has altered the pH environment of my ear canal. That then leaves me more prone to infection. So there's a research study that came out from New Zealand that said, if we recommend people use the sodium bicarbonate drops before wax removal, we can then recommend that they use, say, the tea tree spray afterwards or, or an acetic acid spray afterwards. That makes every episode of wax removal very expensive and you will find people will not continue to use it. I would use sodium bicarbonate to descale my kettle why would I use it in the only skin line cul-de-sac in my body, which is my ear canal? So as a result, I would not use sodium bicarbonate, I would not use hydrogen peroxide, and I wouldn't use eardrops in the ear canal because they're not the benefit of a spray. And as a result, I use ear oil spray. So with regards to further growth for the year all round, I find I see a lot of people with um, dry skin conditions, dermatology related conditions, and it would be really nice to see a moisturiser in an easy way to apply it to the ear canal. And that would be just literally having that liquid within the spray actuator, I think would make a, a vast difference for the patients that I see. We know actually it's 20% of children 
that will have a problem with regards to wax. And what you often find is we're now seeing a lot of babies. And I often think that when babies are being, you know, bottle fed or breast fed, you will find the position that the baby's in having the bottle. People are looking in their baby's ears and they're thinking, oh, look, my baby's got dirty ears. And then they start fiddling with the ears. And we know fiddling with the ears is more likely to give you a problem related to wax. So when they're sitting there, it's actually really handy for them to be able to use in just one spray of the ear all to help that to settle. So more than anything, I would like to see the availability of promoting ear health for people. And more than anything, it is the rule of thumb, do not stick anything in your ear that's smaller than your elbow. If your ear feels itchy or you want to use that cotton bud, or you want to make sure with your daily ablutions, your ears are clean, the best way to use that is one spray of the ear all spray. And I've found patient feedback using the ear oil spray is, is fantastic. Anybody who's ever used drops before, they're very fiddly to use. It's quite difficult to lie down, especially expect an older person to lie down and self-administer ear drops. Using the ear oil spray can be sitting down watching TV. I got an itchy ear, in goes the spray and it's one squirt. It is much simpler to use than having to use drops. It doesn't overfill my ear. People can put their hearing aid in straight afterwards. One spray will not overfill the ear to block the hearing aid and doesn't cause any damage to the hearing aid. So thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Lorenzo and I'm the commercial director for the UK team. Uh, today, I would like to talk to you about the uh, UK distribution of our products, but as well as the main pillars of growth uh, of Venture Life. But before I do that, I would like to introduce the team that we have here at Venture Life Marketing and Commercial. So I think from the beginning of this year, we at Venture Life have acquired some really great talent in the team. Great talent actually are from a diverse background, uh, great expertise across different industries and different companies. Obviously, you met already some of the guys here, the brand team. And the great thing about this is that the reason why I mention it is because you need to understand that we have actually great resources behind the brand to support it, to nurture it, as our retail partner actually value this type of, uh, this type of element. At the same time, in the middle of this section of this chart, you will be able to see the commercial team. So there's myself, I'm supported by the senior national account manager, Azim, unfortunately is not here today. And also uh, by the head of e-commerce that, that was already mentioned before, uh, Joss, Jocelyn Kirby. And that actually tells you that we have a very great team to engage with all of our retail partners, which is really important. As you know, the Venture Life group actually plays in four different areas. We play in oral care, we play in women's intimate health, energy management, and ear care, ENT. Today, however, we are focusing on these three categories that you see here, which are the crown jewels for the company. So, Balance Active, Lift, and Eero. Balance Active is an amazing brand, as you have been hearing up until now. It has been growing 20% year on year, year to date. It is the number one brand in BV treatment, with more than 50% of market share. The reason for it is really simple. We have a very, very clear USP, and we also have very great formats. In the USP, it's a product that naturally works with a woman's body to preserve and restore the natural pH of a woman's vagina. But at the same time, uh, we, also, we also know that it is 
supported by gray KOLs. Lyft as well, it's another gray brand that we have in our portfolio. And Lyft is growing at 9% year on year, and it is the number one glucose shot there is in the market. This again is supported by a great USP in the market. It is a product that actually appeals to diabetics as well as for lifestylers, we call them. So for people that want a bit of a shot uh, you know, for, the, for the day and for people who do sport as well. But at the same time, the format is really, really important as well because it is great to have shots that are growing the brand heavily in the market with a great flavor profile. Number three is Eero. So Eero has been discussed at length already, but Eero is a brand that has been growing organically and it shows at the moment a growth of 10% as the second brand, as the number two brand in Earcare with a 12% of market share. And I just wanted to point out in here that Eero has been growing just organically with zero marketing investment so far, meaning that you can just imagine how much we can do as a team if we're putting investment as we are this year behind the brand. And the success that we had so far on these three brands actually is underpinned by the main pillars of growth of Venture Life. So what are we focusing on? Innovation, we're focusing on UK distribution expansion, and three is marketing expertise. And I'm gonna talk you through these elements one by one right now. So number one is 2022 innovation. So 2022 has been a great and successful year for Venture Life, which has been denoted by two factors, uh, market expansion, so basically Eero, and at the same time, portfolio expansion. So if we're talking about portfolio expansion, we're talking about the products that are sitting on the left-hand side. So if we're talking about the Thrush Cream that's been discussed before, Thrush Cream uh, is a product in a new segment where we didn't play before, but we already knew some key stats in there. The Thrush is, is a segment where many women are actually looking for a natural solution and it's played also by many brands that are medicated. So you can, you can imagine that the power of our innovation work when it came to market, as it's providing a natural solution for women, as many people are looking for that. On top of it, we, are, we have actually introduced um, Balance Active, so the Balance Active 14 pack. So it's basically, a seven, uh, it's basically a bigger version of the seven pack gel that we have, but this is literally addressing the cost of living crisis that uh, many people are living through, we all are, are living through. And by providing a product that has a cheaper price per dose compared to competition, as a 50 is 52% cheaper compared to competition. The third product is Eero. Obviously, we introduced as addressing a key need in the category. And this specific product is recommended by audiologists, as our KUL I just mentioned before. But I also wanted to point out that this brand again grew. 40% in the last two years ahead of the category with our investment. So again, reiterating the point that as we are planning more investment, as we are planning to expand the product to more retailers, we will grow even further. Second pillar uh, of growth is UK distribution expansion. As you can see in the chart in here, pretty much all of our brands are distributed across all of our retail partners. However, there is three main areas that I'll say we should focus on and there is opportunity on. The first area is mainly to uh, fill the distribution gaps, despite the fact that we have 80 to 85% weighted distribution, we can actually be present in more and more stores. 
Number two, I mentioned Eero at the moment, we have presence within Boots, Superdrug, and Pharmacy, but there is an opportunity to expand the brand even further to grow it more. Number three is on-label development in UK and EU. At the moment, we are working with Boots and we are working with Superdrug across food care and skin care. But there is a, another opportunity for us to work with other partners as well as with these guys in here to continue expanding their portfolio and addressing the needs of the shoppers, of their shoppers. Third pillar is uh, marketing expertise. I just wanted to give you here an example on Eero specifically, but uh, on marketing expertise, what does it mean? It means that when you launch a brand, um, we would expect it to support it to nurture it, to make sure that actually it grows in market. And this is the same expectations that our retail partners as have like with us. So in this example for, uh, in here, you've got Eero, and we have a very like full 360 activation campaign. So we have KUL onboarding, so key opinion leaders to endorse our brands, to recommend our brands. We have social media and Google to continue driving awareness for the brand. We, have, um, we are introducing MPDs, so obviously we want to stay on trend and continue driving innovation to retailers. And at the same time, drive purchase intent at retailers, as it's important to do so. Therefore, we are covering all stages of the funnel, from awareness to, co to consideration, conversion, um, and then finally purchase. But we are not just resting on our laurels. We want to continue to expand uh, in there. And we, that's why we are focusing more and more on MPD development in the following years. So starting from, for example, Balanced Active, and this is just an example, we know that 59% of the UK adult population uh, take food supplements. However, women's intimate health is underrepresented. We are talking about probiotics. So we want to be present in a segment where nobody plays in at the moment. On the second, in the middle, you see that many people already are using products, our products for energy boost. So there is an opportunity for us actually to provide a differentiation for people who are suffering from diabetes and they want a shot of glucose, but at the same time for people that are looking more for a solution to their lifestyle that fits their lifestyle and they're a bit more sporty. Number, number three, uh, we're focusing also, we're developing also something in the area of baby, as Jerry mentioned just now, um, because there is a need in the market and we know that nobody plays in there at the moment. So it's something that we can explore and we can be the market leader within that segment. Last but not least, I just wanted you to take away three points in here. So we have a dedicated team, as mentioned before, just to make sure that we have the right marketing activation and marketing elements to support our brands. Number two, we are focusing on three pillars of growth. So there is innovation, UK expansion, very important, and marketing expertise. And number three, MPD development, as we want to continue to, to drive that for our consumers for, for our retail partners. That's it for me. I'm going to hand over to Natalia to talk about international. So good afternoon. Um, my name is Natalia Ozzi. I'm the director of the international brand business at Venture Life. I will be briefly present to you the team and the activity that we carry out in this department. The international brand business team is a fairly small one, uh, despite of its recent expansion. We are five people in total, um, with one senior business development manager focused on new opportunities, two international alliance managers um, in charge of existing partnerships, 
and an export manager supporting with order processing and deliveries. It is an international team um, with four nationalities and working from two different locations, uh, the UK head office and remotely from Spain. The team delivers the business uh, by collaborating with 103 partners. These partners are split in four different categories, um, the legacy business, women's healthcare, oncology support, and ERO. 26 partners uh, bring 80% of the total revenues, but we consider eight of them to be strategic. These kind of partners, these organizations, are of different size and different geographical reach. Um, two of these uh, strategic partners belong to the women's healthcare uh, category, and they market the product in 27 countries. Um, the oncology support uh, category uh, provides four of the strategic partners uh, located in Baltics, Brazil, and the UK. The last two um, key partners um, belong to EROL and they distribute our product in 18 countries. Um, the legacy business um, compile a number of products like Ultradex, Dentil, or Proctoise. Uh, and despite the fact that this category does not provide any strategic partners, it's worth mentioning that four of them brought uh, 1 million euro uh, in 2022. 13 brands constitute the portfolio, and four of these um, represent 70% of the revenues. Um, these four are considered, therefore, key brands. Uh, and include Balance Active within the women's healthcare category um, as a main contributor. Um, EROL uh, contributing 20% uh, on a pro forma basis uh, last year. And the last two um, brands, Gelcler and Pomity, belong to the oncology support uh, category. You don't see Lyft here as one of the key brands for international due to the limited um, international expansion through partners. Um, we will consider these uh, moving forward after we have leveraged these other two brands, uh, these other four brands. Um, geographically, the business concentrates in Europe. Uh, to do this split, um, we consider the main location of our partners. So, for example, all the sales um, to Bayer, they fall under this um, territory. However, Bayer might be selling. Uh, or distributing in non-European countries. Um, our presence in Brazil, Canada, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, and Peru makes of the Americas the second most important continent for the international brands. And we will be focusing in those two territories, um, and they will be at the center of attention of our efforts uh, to expand internationally. Some, some of the reasons for this is uh, they, are, they are varied. Um, it comes from um, detected growth, but also market knowledge, easy access, um, or even to have an uh, existing partner uh, base. Uh, in the case of Europe, we do have registration ready, which shortens um, the time to reach partners and to reach the market. Uh, cross sales uh, to existing and reliable partners, as well as consideration of our internal um, strengths and capabilities and product fit will support this um, ge geographical expansion. 
the business model that we have is straightforward. We partner with organizations that will take our product to market. Uh, for this, we sign distribution agreements during long periods of time, and those will be under exclusive or semi-exclusive basis. These agreements will include some other commercial terms, such as minimum purchase obligations or fixed prices versus uh, minimum order quantities. The agreement will also include um, support and responsibilities for both parties. From our side, we will provide documentation for registration uh, as well as product training. This will be provided by the International Alliance Management Team. Um, the distributor is uh, responsible to gain uh, registration, market access, and to market and promote the product in the territory. The expenses out of these uh, activities, promotion and marketing, will be taken care of by our partners, as Venture Life does not participate of this um, expenditure. However, we will provide best practices that we gather from the home market or international. But the business starts uh, at launch, and until then we have quite a lengthy process. Um, everything starts uh, with the lead source, and at this point we will be reaching out to existing partners or country um, in industry contacts, and we will be making use of licensing events and associations to, um, as, as lead sources. Um, at this point, we will be targeting uh, sizable companies with the adequate fit for the product, the market, and also our business model. This step is easy and straightforward. Um, however, the lead qualification step is uh, uncertain in time and success rate. After the lead has been qualified, meaning there is an in initial interest, um, we find different uh, timeframes subject to the geographical area. Here you can see the different steps until a delivery. If we look at the non-European deals, we find quite a lengthy process until agreement signature. After this, we have registration, which, which can take up to one year. Um, the next step will be the production and delivery of goods. When looking at Europe, the biggest difference is the registration step, which has been already preempted by internal capabilities. Before I conclude my presentation, I would like to share some of the focus for this and next year. Um, at this point, the brands are clear, and uh, the global, um, the geographical focus uh, will be subject to market availability opportunity size, and um, a short and long-term strategic approach. In the case of Balance Active, we have 54 markets signed, but the agreement allows us to look into, the global, into global expansion. In this case, our business development efforts will be focused on Latin America and specific countries in Europe with an in-market growth trend. The distributors of Gelclair uh, market the product in 38 countries under exclusive basis. This narrows our opportunities um, worldwide. Um, in this case, we will be looking at available countries in Latin America, Europe, and the US. Pomiti's uh, international um, cover is narrow, and our partners market the product in nine, nine countries, 
which allows us to look at a broader opportunity um, worldwide. Um, we will be focusing in the Americas and specific countries in Europe. Lastly, EROL, um, our latest acquisition, as you have seen, um, this offers um, a new customer base and that we will be exploiting. And um, these partners market the product in 18 countries and uh, we will be looking into um, focusing in specific countries in Latin America and available countries in the south of Europe because our partners in mainly, are mainly located in the north and the eastern side of Europe. Thank you very much. Hello, so I'm Jocelyn Kirby, Head of E-commerce at Venture Life. And for the next 10 minutes or so, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about our current e-commerce plans, what we've been doing up until now, and what we're planning to do going forward. So in terms of our e-commerce currently, it's represented entirely by Amazon. Um, and we work with Amazon in two different ways. So the first way is on a first-party basis, which you may have heard referred to as Vendor Central. Um, and that's for our oral care brands. <coughs> Um, for the first party um, relationship that we have, we work with Amazon on a wholesale basis. So a little bit like Boots or Tesco or any of our other major wholesale customers. Um, it has some advantages. We can ship in bulk to them. Uh, we don't have to um, do things like take the shipping fees out to the customer, but it gives us less control over what we can do. Moving on to the uh, other way in which we work with Amazon, we work with Amazon on a third party basis for Balance Active Lift and also soon to be Earroll. Um, and that's sometimes referred to as Seller Central, and that's where we use the Amazon platform to facilitate us to sell our products directly to the customer ourselves. Um, the advantages of that are that we can have more control over things like pricing, how we represent the products, and when we do sales. Um, what we then have to do is invest in things like the cost of shipping to the customer. So both have advantages and disadvantages. My preference is for third party where it's commercially viable to do so. In terms of our international reach, um, with Amazon, you can see here the locations uh, in which we currently retail our products. So within the US, we've got Balance, Active and Lift. Uh, within the UK, we have our full range. Uh, and within Europe, um, in Italy, we have Dental. Uh, in Germany, we have Balance, Active. And then we are just launching Balance, Active into France, Italy and Spain. So a little bit of a closer look at that, both now, but also looking ahead to where we're planning to launch. Um, so if you start with Balance Active, we're currently full range in the UK, as I mentioned, uh, and we have the BV range only in the US and Germany. Um, for 24, we're going to launch the full Balance Active range into the US and Germany. Um, and Italy, uh, France and Spain are going to be getting the BV range this month. And then looking into 24, they will also be getting the full range at the same time as Germany. Moving on to Lyft, we have the full range in the US and in the UK, and we have just launched shots in the US, so it's a very newly full range in the US. Um, and for Germany, Italy, France and Spain, I need to get those out in the right order, uh, we'll be launching Lyft in 2024. Uh, moving on to Eroll, so as you've heard, the newest addition to the Venture Life family. Um, we are just live on Amazon, I think as of this morning. Um, there were products available previously um, through third-party sellers, but we're now choosing to sell directly so that they can pull the, re the full retail margin as opposed to the wholesale margin from those sales. Um, for 24, we're looking at the EU4, and then for 25, moving into the US. Um, then looking at the oral care brands, so dental, we have full range in the UK, uh, and we have uh, in Italy also, and then Ultradex, currently just in the UK. So moving on, uh, in 2022, 
Um, we have three key focus areas, um, but one important thing to note here, note here is that e-commerce represented 13% of the Venture Life brand revenues. So it's a significant part of our brand revenues and it's growing. So we took three key focus areas as um, a kind of our growth pillars. Um, efficiency, first of all. Um, we invest quite heavily in advertising on Amazon and you have to do that in order to make sure that your products appear at the top of search. Um, and so we focus in on the performance of that advertising and we measure something really closely called total ACOS, which you may or may not have come across. Um, and it means total advertising cost of sale. Um, so it's a really important metric to, to focus on. Um, so as an example, in 22, we grow our ad spend by 5%, but we grow our Amazon sales by 13%. So predominantly that growth is driven by increasing the efficiency of our ad spend. The second key focus for efficiency for us was on um, the terms with which we work with Amazon on our first party basis. Um, so we have decreased our, um, the total cost of our terms by 17% and that's freed up budget to allow us to focus on more revenue driving activities. But what it's also done is given us some internal cost savings, both in operational efficiency, um, but also in how we ship our products. So as an example, we've moved to pallet ordering for our really high volume lines. And that means for one order, we might be shipping one pallet to one location, whereas previously we might have been shipping uh, 10 part pallets or 10 sets of cases to 10 different locations. And that's delivered operational efficiencies for us across the business. Moving on to um, the second kind of key focus for us in 22, we looked at range expansion. Um, so one of the key things we did and, and kind of taking into consideration why customers shop on Amazon, they want value for money, they want convenience. Um, and so we've introduced multi-pack variations. So whilst our single packs are competitively priced on Amazon, our, our, our multi-packs offer value for money for the consumer, but they also allow us to increase our profitability. We have a lower percentage of our, of our overall cost of sale is spent on shipping that product to the customer. Um, and we also increase brand loyalty. So rather than buying one pack, they're buying three packs. So they're using us for three times longer. Um, we focus that predominantly on balanced active dental and ultradex brands. Um, Lyft already is in multi-pack variations, but we've seen an increase in the average selling price across all three brands, thanks to bringing in the multi-pack. So we can see it's having a positive influence on both kind of the sales mix for that range, but also on how long the customers are using our products for. Um, the second um, element of range expansion was around NPD. Um, and the focus for us with Amazon is to always get the product up and live to market as soon as that product's available to us. So we're first to market with our thrush cream and our intimate foam wash. Um, I'm really happy to say both are tracking um, to the projected sales that we had for those from launch on Amazon. And then the third key focus area for us for 22 was in market expansion. So we launched the Balance Active BV gel into Germany. Um, and we took quite a, an aggressive approach to the launch. We invested heavily in advertising at the outset. Um, and that is one of the kind of the key things you need to focus on, on Amazon is getting sales velocity early on in the launch process. Um, and so we did that. We achieved profitability in less than 12 months. Um, and uh, we are now currently at around 20% of the market leader. There was one really strong market leader in Germany. So we're about 20% of their sales volume. Um, and we're now currently ranked as the number two BV treatment on Amazon in Germany. Um, so pretty good achievement for just over 12 months of trading. Um, what I'm sure you're probably more interested in are our growth plans going forwards. Um, so for my final slide, um, I've got three key focus areas. Um, but one thing I think is really important to note before I go into to these three areas is around what's our approach to e-commerce and how we're thinking about e-commerce. Um, it's really important to follow the consumer. So each of you here will shop in 
your preferred retailers. So, you know, Lorenzo might like Amazon, Charlie may prefer to go and shop in Boots, um, and Jerry might like to just pick up what he needs in his, his local supermarket store. Um, but we all shop around in our own way. And so for me around e-commerce, it's important that we follow the consumer and we let them find our products in the place that's most convenient for them. And so we ensure our products are available wherever it is they choose to shop. And the second thing that I think is really important is that we own a direct relationship with our customers, not only through social media, but through a direct transactional relationship. So the first point on here is around D2C. So for Q4 23, we're going to launch a Lyft D2C e-commerce platform. In 2024, we're going to follow with E-Roll and Balance Active. And in 2025, we're going to launch an Ultradex e-commerce platform. I think it's important to note here, we're not going to be spending hundreds of thousands of pounds on an all-singing, all-dancing e-commerce platform that we don't need. Um, we're going to be looking at, yes, an investment on the outset to, to get an e-commerce platform up and running, but it's going to be agile. We're going to be focusing on what we really need to be able to sell to the customer. Um, and we're going to ensure that we test and learn and we learn fast so that we can stay agile and we can keep developing along with e-commerce trends and along with what we learn from the data that we get back from our e-commerce platforms. Um, so whilst there will be the initial investment to get the platform up and running, we're going to operate that profitably from day one. Uh, moving on to other key focus areas for um, 23 and ahead, um, range and expansion and market expansion still present a great opportunity for us. Um, so Eero, I've mentioned we have literally just gone live. Um, previously, um, there's been no marketing done on uh, Eero on Amazon. So not only do we have the opportunity to gain the full retail margin by selling directly, um, we also have the opportunity to gain market share by just starting to do some marketing on Amazon. Um, and it's a relatively slow paced um, category to be in. So I think there's loads of opportunity if we go after it in a really best practice way um, that we can gain some real market share. Um, moving on to online exclusives. Um, we have some online exclusives currently. But we're looking to develop some more, starting with some new flavors of Lyft shots. And they are currently our biggest selling line on Amazon. Um, so I think it's a really exciting development to add to the mix. Um, and finally, from an NPD perspective, I've mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning again, always first to market, always making sure we're showcasing our full range. Customers do discover products on Amazon, and we not only invest in direct sales driving activities, but some of those look at brand awareness. And so we can get loads of eyes on our brands and loads of eyes on our new products from the day one of launch. Um, and then finally, I've mentioned it on the EU slide, but market expansion, we're going to be going for the full uh, balance active range um, across the EU. Um, and then within the US, I think it's a really exciting market. We haven't talked in great detail about it today, um, but we're going to be having the full balance active range um, and building on the lift range in the US. And I think you know, the US presents a huge opportunity, both in terms of similar trends to the UK on a menopause perspective um, and on the women's intimate health range, but also just simply on the size of the market that's available to us out there. Um, so quick recap, success so far has come from focusing on efficiency, on really making sure our ad spend is spent well, market and range expansion. Going forward, it's going to be building on what we've already done, keeping focus on ad performance, but looking at D2C and continuing the range and market expansion. So I'm delighted to hand you over to Gianluca. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I'm Gianluca, responsible for manufacturing and operation for the group. Looks incredible, but 40 years ago, I was like that. A young boy <laughs> with a lot of hairs. So now slightly different, but my story started there when I was still a student and started my working in the Milano University in the R&D section. My job was uh, 
trying to find cosmetical application for raw material that were used in different fields. And uh, an example, the silicone, um, at that time only the dimeticon was used in cosmetic and a huge multinational company came to the university and to me indirectly and asked to develop and to evaluate their portfolio of silicon products that they were using in industrial field. First thought was strange for me, but I realized that if I would say impossible, my job was finished. So what I learned, and this is important because it's still a mindset of the company, of the manufacturing, that we never say no. I know that it's not perfect in English, but the concept is that we have to work to find solution for our customer. This is the point. And it's still exactly like that 40 years later. After a couple of years, my dad uh, saw my passion and decided to invest 100 million lire, that is roughly 40,000 pounds today. And the manufacturing started. In 1999, we started developing uh, and manufacturing the first medical device and for Sinclair Pharma, UK company. And this is where I met Jerry, that used to be the CFO of the company, of Sinclair at that time. And our cooperation started in that period. Um, in 2002, the product was sold to a US company. And so the manufacturing plan has been inspected by FDA. So the first inspection for me is over 20 years ago. And uh, after that, in 2014, Jerry came to me and asked me if, uh, why we didn't merge our knowledge and competence. And so we decided to, technically, we through the IPO, we start working together. And I came into the Venture Life group and family bringing my expertise in manufacturing, in development, uh, that has been added to the international sales and marketing view of the Venture Life company, which are our strength uh, in the manufacturing. First of all, 20% of our employees are in the technical area. When I say technical means uh, R&D, and you will uh, listen to uh, Stefania's presentation later, but also regulatory, um, quality, quality assurance. Uh, all this, the combination of all this knowledge make a big strength for the company <clears throat> that has been very supportive also for the supply chain that represented by Domenico that will speak after uh, Stefania for solving a lot of trouble in. 2021, where everything was impossible to find. So a very deep collaboration between the R&D and the supply chain give us the opportunity to never stop the line, to always find a solution, to always find the raw material as an alternative of something that was not available in the market. And then another great strength, I think, is our uh, partnership strategy. And again, Marco will speak uh, at the end of the Italian session about the commercial strategy in partnership that we have in partnership with our, with our customers. So the customers are working close to us for growing together. 
This is what we consider partnership. Accreditation and other great strength. Uh, we have been always working and investing in being uh, in quality, having uh, the approval not only from the FDA, not only from uh, the Canada, all the Latin America area, but also from the Far East. We are approved for China. We are approved from the uh, Korean FDA and from Saudi Arabia. And we, where is the strength? The strength is when a customer come to us, uh, find any possible territories covered by our accreditation. This is very important because when you start a relationship with a new customer, the most important thing is not to lose it and continue working with him, growing together. So we are not, I don't consider um, our manufacturing plant as simple manufacturer, but a service company, a full service company, because we, are, we have around us all the competence that are, uh, give us the opportunity to bring the idea of the customer in a finished product. Uh, Stefania will explain the magic of the R&D, and I think is something really very valuable, but not only that, because again, regulatory quality, packaging knowledge, uh, industrialization of the idea, checking the stability of the product. So you have to combine all the competence around you to be able to give a finished product, a quality, uh, reliable, stable, finished product to your customer. In these uh, years, we have been developing a lot of products and we have at least a portfolio of ready-to-go formulation over 1,500, but it's a number. We have been developing thousands of formulations in these 40 years, and most of them are ready to go for our customer. And the time to market is very important. So when we receive a new brief from our, from our customer, it's relatively easy for us uh, to adapt uh, an existing formulation to a finished product. The clear example was hand sanitizer gel that oh, everybody remember the first wave in Italy was really a disaster, March 2020. And in less than three weeks, and thanks to the strength of the company, the supply chain, the R&D, everybody was working together. We were able to have a product for supporting also uh, the authority, the, the hospital. In three weeks, we were in the market with a new product, starting and fishing from our library. So this library is available for our customer, but also for our brand. And this is another very important strength that we have, that we offer. We have been hearing from our colleagues, uh, the brand strategy, the MPD strategy can be, um, we can be supportive to this strategy for a faster growth. Um, and another very interesting point for you that Danny was mentioning is the combined profit. I, Danny was using a better word in English. Uh, so we had our manufacturing profit add the commercial profit. So we increased the profitability of the group. We made an important acquisition uh, two years ago. So now we have two manufacturing plants, one in Italy and one in Sweden. 
Uh, the Swedish one is uh, uh, characterized by very high automation. We have uh, a dedicated filling machine for filling monodose. All the woman health um, products that we are manufacturing are done in Sweden uh, with uh, very little uh, amount of working people and very high level of production, 270 tubes per minute is the high speed of the machine, so a lot of tubes. From the other side, in Italy, we work uh, based on the flexibility. We have a lot of uh, different, uh, you see in the slide, um, manufacturing machine, and this is another important point because we start from the 25 kilo, so very little batch, up to nine tons. And again, when you start with a new customer, you can follow the growth of the customer. You can offer as a service to, to our customer, little production, medium production, big production. Um, we have a lot of filling lines for filling uh, jar, tubes, bottle, pump. Everything is necessary for a possible cosmetic product. And again, um, the variety of the equipment keep the customer close to us. Some consideration about our manufacturing capacity and investment. Uh, we have been growing quite a lot in this uh, last year. So when we joined together, uh, I remember in 2014, uh, Biocosmos as a single manufacturing plant company was making roughly 10 million euro revenue. Last year, we closed a 30 million euro revenue, organic growth, so very important. But a key factor of this growth has been agreed with Jerry and the board that we always keep 40% of free capacity. Why? Because if you have free capacity, you can give a good service to your customer. If you have equipment um, available for new order, for increased order, for bigger order, your lead time is shorter than if your equipment are saturated by 80 or 90%. So in all these years, we have been having always a yearly CapEx plan, a maintenance plan for our equipment and for a manufacturing company, this is very, very, very important because also the existing equipment are always uh, well-maintained, well-perfect in terms of performance. And we add new capacity. So we are, even if we grow, we are always updated with our manufacturing capacity. For future growth, it's just a matter of money, but no problem for uh, increasing our manufacturing capacity. Last year, we made 30 million pieces, but the capacity we have one shift free still. So we don't see a big limitation up to the number uh, written in the slide. Of course, we are not. This is what we consider our uh, trend of growth that is in line with any plan. And what's for the future? The future uh, is continuous growing thanks to a more international strategy. Marco will talk about that. Uh, our main area now are Italy and UK, but the idea is to bring more effort for developing the international business. 
thanks to a great team of people. People is the most important resources that we have in the company. And also thanks to a intangible asset that is a positive culture that we still have in the company that is solving, solving the problem, uh, find a way, find a solution, work for the customer. We are a service company. Um, to support the growth, we have also decided to improve the structure of our organization. So Fabio Perigo is here with us and uh, he is entitled as general manager of Biocosmes, supporting the growth and also operation manager of the group, director of the group, because we, we think that uh, together with the growth of the numbers of the operation, we should also grow the people. Last asset that we are managing, uh, thanks to the technical background that we have, is represented by the technical file that you are bringing from the MDD to the MDR. It's a technicality, the law is changing, there are a lot of things to do, some investment uh, to be done, but we have all the competence, unfortunately, the cash to afford this, this passage from 27 technical file, that's quite a lot, that will generate a lot of new revenue, new opportunity for the future, because the value of this product will be uh, significantly higher than now in the market tomorrow. And so we are just optimistic and uh, encourage everybody to follow us. I leave to Stefania to continue the magic of the R&D. So good afternoon, my name is Stefania and I'm the R&D coordinator of Biocosmos Venture Life Group. Today I have the pleasure and the opportunity to introduce you a little bit how is the technical area is composed and how we can follow the development of a new project. The technical area in Biocosmos is composed by 20 people, all with a scientific background. So we are chemists, pharmaceutics, or biology, biotechnology. And our area is divided in four different segments. The quality assurance, the regulatory department, the quality control department together with the microbiological lab, and the R&D department. So we have internally all the skills and all the capabilities to follow the project from the idea till the exit of the product in the market. The R&D department is followed directly by me with the supervisor of Gianluca, that is our technical director, and is composed by different formulators with different skills and different footprints. And uh, uh, you have to consider the formulator as a fashion stylist, so with a personal way to formulate. We work together for more than 10 years, so a very long time, and um, we have the experience to support the development of new medical devices based on substances or cosmetic products. So we can cover each kind of galenic formulation that you can find in the market, starting from emulsion to the production of gels or a product for toiletries and so on. If we take a look to the last year, 2022, it's very important to underline that R&D 
has been involved in the transition period from MDD to MDR for the medical devices that we have in our portfolio. It's a very challenging situation where we have to think about the device in a different way. So we have to consider it uh, thinking about the design also in a retrospective way. And there's a second point that is the clinical evaluation that uh, we are following for the devices together with a group of medicine doctors with experience in clinical, and we are working together to submit the products we hope uh, till 2024. Actually, we have 13 technical files under registration, just submitted eight and five to be submitted till the first quarter of 2024. Here you can see a slide showing the formulation developed and produced in the last 10 years by our company that are around 700 and more. And you can consider a range of formulation around 50, 80 per year. But uh, uh, from my personal side, it's not so important the number, but it's important to say that the formulation are ready to be submitted to the customer. As Gianluca said before, they are safe, they are tested. So we can send them to the customer in a very short way, saving time, saving cost, and personalize it in a very, very easy way. But uh, which is uh, the secret behind the development of a new product? Uh, how we approach a new development? As I said, it's a magic bridge between science and creativity and art. And uh, I like to define uh, the formulator as a chef with a lot of uh, many different ingredients available to develop a fantastic dishes. But uh, actually we have uh, more than 20,000 of raw materials um, present in the market to develop new products. So we have to think about it with foresight. So we have to be careful about the stability, about the quality, about the texture that must be excellent for the final customer. So a lot of many different things to be taking consideration to support the development of a new product. When we receive an idea from a customer, we have to identify in a very well way which is the customer needs. This is very important and our sensitivity, the formulator sensitivity is very, very important. As you have to identify correctly which is the customer needs and you have to integrate this with your personal vision. So the first thing is to identify the raw materials to be used that are the bricks of the formulation. And you have to think about them that as they can work together in a synergy, but sometimes not in a good synergy. So it's very important to take in consideration as far as possible any possible risk. And when you have identified this first part, you can start with the laboratory trials that are quite complex. And they uh, work together with the selection of the packaging, with the selection of the, with the identification of the regulatory aspects that are very, very important. Finally, you can obtain your frozen prototype, but your job is not finished, but because now you have to test the stability of the product. It means that you have to grant 
that the product must maintain its own characteristics during its shelf life in the market. So now you have to consider the stability of the product. It means that we have to check the quality of the product, so the chemical, physical characteristics, the microbiological characteristics, and the efficacy too, during its shelf life, putting the products in different climatic chambers and tested the different climatic conditions that you can find around the world. Actually, in 2022, we have, been, we have concluded 75 stability studies started from 2018 because for uh, medical devices, the stability are very long, more than three years, sometimes also four and five, it depends. And uh, um, at the moment, we have 175 stability tests ongoing, so it's a very big quantity of product under evaluation. As Gianluca said, in the last years, we have received an important issues from our purchasing department, and Domenico will show you better than me, but it was a very important and challenging situation, and we have identified a strategy to substitute a lot of raw materials that in that moment were not available in the market due to the war in Ukraine, to the pandemic era. So a lot of different uh, problems received from the market daily. And we have identified a strategy to work in advance and to anticipate any risk of delay of production. In 2022, we have substituted 50 raw materials, and in 2025, around 80, so very big number of raw materials tested with scientific reports and the scientific reports have been submitted to the customers and approved with a change control. So it was a very challenging situation, very complex, but uh, well managed. So thanks uh, for your attention today. Many, many thanks. I leave the... So good afternoon to everyone. Quick uh, explanation about the supply chain environment. So. Uh, my colleagues already anticipated you what we lived uh, last year that has been very, very challenging. So uh, probably one of the most used word in that period was uh, resilience, but in reality, I prefer to define what we lived and uh, how we work as the ability to absorb. Uh, it was something like uh, boxing a game, Muhammad Ali. So you, the only thing that you had to keep in mind is stay alive. Let's try to arrive tomorrow, brief if you can, and let's see when the next <laughs> problem will arrive. So just to give you a bold number, uh, before uh, 2020, we were managing some issue and force measure once a year, once a semester. In 2020, we had uh, at least one a day or more than one a day. So the idea was let's try to see what we can do our, in our best. So the teamwork that we implemented, that we have, the, the knowledge, the expertise, uh, the chance uh, of uh, having uh, colleagues uh, in, several, in several fields that can make the, the, let's say the, the production plan still being open was, uh, was a key. Uh, government uh, was changing rules every day, every evening. Uh, suppliers were closing, uh, uh, ships were disappearing, uh, trains were not working. 
So every single day there was a, a single problem. And so it has been really a one year of uh, uh, managing issues. So 2020 has completely changed the way of managing supply chain. Uh, from 2021 and also 2022, uh, the world started to change. So it was more the ability to manage. I would define as uh, waves were still very high, but in reality on high waves, you can surf. And so in some way you can try to have fun of the situation if you are able to surf. So you saw in last presentation from Stefania that we changed a lot of raw material. Uh, it is a very long process because you have to find uh, there must be availability, there must be sample, there must be documentation. So uh, it is a long process that we did in a very fast way. Uh, and so uh, we implement a nice way to stay on the market and to every day have the plant open. So uh, I would sum up 2021 and 2022 with three different uh, ability. So for sure, one is always to look behind. So this is only an example for sure, but uh, mentioning again silicons in October 2020, we, we bought uh, a quantity that maybe seems very strange in the moment. Three months after the biggest company, a US company, declared a, a first measure for one year saying, I will never deliver also the confirmed order and we have on stock everything. So obviously this is something that is, has been managed with commercial because uh, uh, our number one customer was aware of what we were doing. And so we had some commercial agreement. Obviously it was financial because also with Daniel and with Jerry managing uh, the warehouse value and the warehouse space. But when the world world was saying, you, you cannot produce anymore, we have on stock everything for more than one year. Uh, the world is, was changing very fast, so we have to be fast moving. Uh, that picture is coming directly from our warehouse, our plant. It was March 2020. Probably, I, I don't know if you remember what was happening in Italy in 2020. So we had big issue, something like, I'm not sure if I can come back home and I can come back to work the, the day after. And indeed, uh, we were using a full track of alcohol in three days. Uh, so signing contract in two days, ready formulation, ready machinery, just finding customers selling a lot. So the idea of be fast moving in that world in that moment was really key. And uh, as I was saying, this was adding a huge additional complexity because uh, uh, what we learned in the past that was something like managing just in time and whatever was not working. So. Uh, the, the rule was, uh, if I find uh, anything that is useful, let's buy. So uh, finance was not happy in the moment for sure, but that was the way of uh, managing this, that moment. And in this way, we fulfilled 100% of order we received. So not 90, not 95, but 100%. So the rule, uh, the mindset of never say no was applying. So just bring customers, just bring orders and we fulfill the order and uh, considering what was the, the word in 2020, 20, from 2020 to 2022, saying 100% is a big achievement. So the sense of belonging of the company, the teamwork, the expertise, the knowledge of people has, uh, has allowed us to, to reach this great result. Time are now changing. So this is, was the past. Happy to say that we reached a great result, but now the time, time are changing. So one important 
lesson that we learned is that the world is not that small. Uh, nice to say globalization, nice to say that you can reach every part of the world in a, in a while, but the Far East, for example, is far. And uh, so the reshoring idea is now uh, on site. So we have to grant business continuity, but business continuity doesn't only mean multi-sourcing. So having more than one supplier or one CMO or one approved source for everything, but also where it is located is very important because if I have 10 supplier, but I have all 10 in the Far East, uh, ships are going one way, train are going one way. So the idea is that having at least one source in Europe or close to Europe, it's now paramount. So the, what we are doing right now is uh, granting business continuity with the right risk management perspective. So reshoring is very, very important. Again, multi-sourcing because uh, probably no one was really aware about what could have happened in Ukraine before it started. Uh, and so even if Europe was considered, <laughs> still considered maybe a, a safe place to stay, uh, multi-sourcing is needed because we have, for example, one very key raw material that was produced in Ukraine. And so the day after, the idea was, is the plant still there? So multi-sourcing is really important. And reshoring a multi-sourcing will grant us uh, uh, a better time to market because uh, it's still very, very important to, to be fast responding because it is always needed by our customers. So we cannot say uh, we are not delivering on time because it's important to deliver, but deliver on time in short time is very, very important. And uh, what I will define that now it is luckily after three years, a better moment to be purchasing department uh, because uh, I mean, we are not boxing with Mohamed Ali anymore. So it is uh, possible to do price negotiation. Uh, not everything is going down. So inflation is there. Uh, some prices are still increasing, but the average for 2023 is that we can manage without price increase. The outlook for 2024 is positive. So the aim is to bring again back more margin to the group, to the production, because the outlook is really, really makes sense that we can deal about prices. While in the past, uh, the, the negotiation was, do you have the raw material? Please send to me without speaking about price. So it is nice. And um, with all those factors, uh, the, the outlook for the supply chain now is very positive. Let's say that we don't have the crystal ball yet, but in some way we can try to, to forecast and to predict what is happening. In, uh, in the short future, for sure, uh, the next uh, important topic for the supply chain, so to be ready on what the market is already asking, is uh, the ESG aspect. So Jerry was highlighting before uh, our key point that we decided to, to exploit in the first moment as ESG. And uh, it's nice to see that uh, we are exploiting recycled packaging for uh, customer brands and for group product. We are already ready to have all the certified papers. So with every single certification that may be needed, we are already exploiting some sustainable raw material because, uh, sorry to say this is a look, but after 40 years, maybe silicones are not uh, uh, the key raw material anymore. So we can start using green silicone or we can have same performed raw material, but that are produced with a cold process and not the hot one. 
So I guess that anyone knows how the energy was a problem in the past, last, last month. And so having raw materials that are using less energy as a price trend and obviously a green aspect. And there are also other very important points that we are exploding together with Stefania. So uh, we are already putting on place what, the, what we think, we are sure in some way, the market will need in a few years from now. So we are already doing everything to be, to be ready on, on what we have to produce in next years. And also in terms of uh, social, all suppliers of Biocosmes are going to sign, this is not uh, ended yet, uh, a code of conduct. So also the social aspect is compulsory for us. And uh, we are going to finish this by, let's say, a few months from now. So happy to say that also for the future, we are implementing a nice way to, to manage also every single supplier. Uh, so fine for me. And Marco, it's up to you. So uh, as anticipated by my colleague, I guess, you have several evidences that uh, Biocosmes could be considered as available contract development and manufacturing organization. And my aim today is just to share with you how uh, we get a simple commodity in something special. First of all, the team. Uh, actually, the uh, uh, contract development uh, uh, business organization has been built on three different groups. The first one is focused on the business development activities, looking for new opportunities in the business arena. The second one is the industrialization team that were also the head of the project management. And the third one is the customer service uh, team that uh, uh, work closely with our partner and manage the uh, uh, routinely business day by day. Um, the uh, key uh, mindset that we have at the basis of our uh, daily activities is not only to gather orders or gather opportunities, but our real uh, mindset is to solve the potential problem of our clients. That I mean to offer new formulation, to offer new product, to offer uh, an implementation of any kind of artwork and, and so on because we are absolutely sure that if we were able to solve the problem of our clients, orders will come and orders come. Uh, how do we do that? Uh, we could uh, uh, summarize and simplify our uh, uh, process uh, in three different phases. The first one is the picking and selecting the opportunities on the business arena. This is an activity that uh, our BD carried out uh, day by day, uh, interacting with the potential client outside the organization. They collect several briefs uh, that uh, they are processing internally by uh, a, a weekly meeting uh, in, in Biocosmes. And we selected the project based on a sort of stage gate approach, uh, based on uh, financial, feasibility, regulatory, and so on. And at the end of this phase, uh, we were able to find out a potential product or project lead that start the second phase uh, of the evaluation. That means the project implementation. This is the phase where the technician from one side and the business development from the other side discuss together to find out the best solution for our partners. And the concrete deliverable is the uh, cost structure to be offered to our uh, commercial uh, colleagues to be negotiated with the partners and to close the offer. 
when the offer uh, will be signed, obviously, uh, we bring the project in the routine of the manufacturing from one side and uh, uh, through our customer service from the other side. This is a simple method that I bring to maximize all the opportunities because uh, both the BD and the customer service work closely with our partner and we are able to pick opportunities day by day based on the uh, needs of our clients. Second, this is an agile process because we had already tested uh, that we are quick and efficacy to quote our project uh, uh, starting from the first contact to the client to the manufacturing. And the third one, that probably the most important, uh, this process brings us to be close, more and more close to our partner. And this, at the end, uh, brings to have uh, a, a stronger uh, network on our uh, partner uh, in the routinely business. Uh, the results of our efforts could be summarized in this slide. Uh, where you can realize the contribution of the customer brands in the last, uh, in the last years. In particular, uh, we had uh, a significant increase uh, from the 2021 and 2022, not only in terms of percentage of increase, but also in the number of the clients. Uh, just last year, we gained seven new customers, uh, giving us the chance to reach 56 active partners in our portfolio right now. In terms of numbers, uh, their core business is more focused on cosmetics for the 69% and the 28% in the pharma business. There's a, a, a little 3% uh, related more on the food supplement. This is just the core business of our clients. Uh, in terms of turnover, uh, our product mix has been uh, addressed for the 56% in the medical devices and in 44% in, in cosmetics. Uh, it's important to underline that the 86% of our total turnover has been concentrated in top 10 pharma customers right now. In terms of geographical distribution, uh, our, the headquarters of our partners has been made uh, located in UK for the 51% and the 34% in Italy. And a limited, let me say, limited per percentage uh, outside uh, Italy and UK. But this is one of one of uh, the uh, issues at the basis of the next strategy we want to pursue for the next future with the plus in terms of uh, uh, skills and capabilities and especially among the other the quality certification we have in our site. Uh, this leads us to uh, set up uh, the real aim for the next future, so to increase our presence in the international arena. And we had already set several uh, reorganizations internally uh, in Biocosmos to be more and more focused on screen and scouting any potential partner uh, to be served and to be reached. Uh, second, uh, we also decided to increase our presence in the social network. Uh, LinkedIn is just LinkedIn reported one, but uh, we are uh, studying several other strategies uh, to get our name in several platforms. And the third is uh, reach and serve far markets by our proactive presence. For example, in US, we had already decided to participate at two uh, main exhibitions, the CPHI, for example, and the DCAT in New York. 
And uh, another strategy we recently put in place is the creation of uh, uh, capability bro broker networks worldwide. Uh, again, this is a project that we had started recently. We had already one technology broker active in South America, and this is a sort of pilot, uh, let me say, experiment uh, to fine-tune the, the strategy and to fine-tune the, these activities in, in far markets. But the idea is to cover uh, some clusters circled in, in red, for example, by uh, operative broker uh, in that area. Uh, the broker is just the person that works in those uh, geographical uh, clusters, uh, serving already uh, any pharmaceutical or cosmetics company. And his role, their role, is to just promote uh, the name of Biocosmes, to bring the skills and capabilities of Biocosmes, and then create the hook with our organization. Then the negotiation will be in charge uh, of our colleague in Biocosmes, and uh, the, the technology broker will be paid a success fee. So uh, again, as our mindset is to increase our presence outside Italy and South UK, so please, we are open to partnerships, so feel free to contact us. Jerry, I'll leave you to close with the question and answers. Thanks, Mark. Great. Thanks, uh, thanks everybody. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for our speakers. Um, thanks for doing a fantastic job. Um, just to wrap up, really, I mean, hope that's been an opportunity for all of you to see a bit more about the depth of our business, um, particularly to meet uh, key members of our team. These are the guys who are doing the day-to-day -day business, running the operations, uh, driving the growth. Uh, and pushing us forward. I think you've seen with uh, what Danny's presented, the growth of the business, historically what we've got in front of us, the opportunities, um, the growth drivers we've got in our products, in our channels, um, and in our new product development, uh, the cash generation, profit profile that we've got, um, and we've got an exciting future ahead this year, even without any anticipated M&A. Obviously M&A will become part of our business uh, later as we go forward, but this year it's about focusing on those organic growth brands, on those channels, on the opportunities, in front of us. Um, we're doing more investment in automation, labour costs are rising, so in the factory there's a lot of work going on there uh, to automate there, and there's a lot of work going into sustainability and the culture development of our business. Um, so really, as I say, focus for 23, organic growth, margin improvement, uh, that's through uh, revenue growth, through automation, uh, through getting more efficiencies out of our business, developing the brands, international penetration, uh, NPD, improving that free cash flow, reducing on that leverage um, and focusing on sustainability and culture. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for all the pre presenters, all the work going in there. We've got some time to do a Q&A. So if anyone wants to ask any burning questions, uh, please fire away. Hi, Jerry. Uh, just a quick question about foreign exchange. So over the next few years, I think pound is going to get stronger against other currencies. So what's going to be impact on your business, top line, bottom line of pound getting stronger? and interest rates staying high? Yes, yeah, so one of our key challenges at the moment is that most of our production is done in Europe, so Sweden and Italy, but we're selling products into the UK market, so we've got uh, margin adverse impact because of that at the moment, the way FX rates are. Um, we are working to help uh, mitigate those impacts 
through two or three key elements. One is we have a lot of natural hedging in our business by the fact we do have uh, a high base of euros, but a high base of sterling as well. We've got around in the UK a shortfall of around 3 million euros on an annual basis, which isn't a huge amount, but it gives us a very identifiable amount that we can professionally manage through hedging mechanisms. And that's something we started looking at very recently with a number of brokers. And um, that will help us just smooth out the volatility on our P&L. As we move forward, though, we see more opportunity to increase our natural hedging through our internationalization of the brands, as we've been talking about today, uh, increasing our presence in the US and South America particularly, and that will help us just diversify our currency base and where we're incurring revenues and costs. So we're attacking at it from um, several different angles at the moment, but with that also professionalizing the way we manage FX in the business. You talked about sort of 175 active products or that you're working on, formulations. You've said you've got 75 that have just become complete, active, or whatever that might mean. How does that translate into revenue product you know, growth for the business going forward? Sure. Um, there's three aspects to that uh, in terms of the product. So firstly, we've got improvements of formulations. So we might be improving a formulation for a customer, which could be you know, raw material that we can't get anymore, or an improvement in raw material, something that gets us more stable. So they're not really generating new revenues, that's uh, continuing revenues. We've got active development of new products within our NPD, which you've seen uh, up here. And so when we're developing NPD, we might be coming out with one product, but we'll be looking at two or three different formulations. And then we've got the development of customer brand uh, products. So uh, you'll know we've got um, significant customer Alliance Pharma. You know, we'll be working with them on, on NPD. So that will precipitate revenue growth going forward. So it's each of those three things we're working on. And the NPD you've seen here, customer brands growth coming from, and we've seen over, what, eight years, three, threefold increase in the revenues in the customer brand business. So that's where some of that formulation development's gone. And then the refreshing, which wouldn't improve revenue. Okay, but I mean, you've, you've been working on it for five, so the 75 has taken five years of production to get to this point. Um, how much of that, I guess, is customer-led for the manufacturing side of things versus just replacement of existing? Yeah, uh, uh, the majority of that 75, for example, will be on the customer brand side. Because obviously on, on the MPD side, we've got a number of activities. We're probably talking 10 or 15 products uh, within that portfolio. If, if I could just add a little bit to that, Jerry. So um, just to answer the question further, Stephen. So you'll have seen typically we spend about half a million a year on R&D, uh, doing new formulations, creating new products for our customers, or extending the range. Um, this year, just to give you an example of what that half a million does for us, we've done around uh, 1.5 million of revenue from completely new products this year, so revenues that were not there last year. And as Jerry said, most of that is customer brands revenue, so customer driven. But with the acquisitions we've been making recently, we're clearly extending our portfolios, as you've seen today, Balance Active and Lift to come through as well, and in a year old as well, the baby year old. So those are good examples of how we plan to build it out, but mainly it's customer brands led at the moment because of the way our business has evolved. Jerry, where do you see, in, of total sales in three years time, what percentage of that will be made up by e-commerce, do you think? Oh, uh, tricky question. I could ask Josh to answer that, but wouldn't be fair. Um, I mean, we see that becoming an increasing part of our, um, of our revenue. You've seen it's growing quite steeply over four years from 4% to 6 to 9 to 13. So I'd expect we'll be getting up to sort of 20, 25% overall over that period. But that will depend on the, the Amazon platforms, the e-commerce platforms, and how we expand into Europe. But it, it needs to start to be that sort of number. 
That's the e-commerce we have visibility of through Amazon. But for example, if our products are sold through a Boots platform, we're not necessarily reporting in that number. So it's probably already understated in terms of the level of e-commerce penetration we have. So Boots won't, Boots won't split up their data for us in terms of how much they sell uh, bricks and mortar and how much they sell digital. So that's not included in our 13%. That's just our, our direct. Thank you. Um, I must thank you for bringing all the Italian team here. Um, it's been excellent to hear firsthand um, how they operate. Thank I just wondered if you'd like to add a few words about your Swedish facility and, and how that fits in. The yeah, sure. sure. So the Swedish facility came in as part of the BBI acquisition. Uh, so we have 15 people there. It's uh, near Stockholm. It manufactures the balance active uh, gel. And also, so that's the uh, bacterial vaginosis gel and the moisture gel. Um, it runs, uh, as John said, 270 tubes a minute. And so seven of those tubes go in a box. Um, typically, the lines at Biocosmos will run 50 to 100 items a minute, so it's a much quicker facility, but it's only utilised 20% at the moment. The, the original owner, which is Exponent Private Equity, um, when they signed the deal with Bayer, which was before we had acquired the business, Bayer gave very significant forecasts about the future growth of that product for them. And so they invested nearly 4 million euros in installing that equipment to meet that. And Bayer have been slower uh, in delivering that. And so that's why there sits a lot of capacity there. But last year, grow, Blair, excuse me, Bayer grew 36% uh, in their business with us, and they're already launching in more territories and growing out quite fast. So we're trying to uh, obviously put more volume into that facility through that product. Also, Marco and his team are talking to other customers to try and get more product into that plant. So they make the long neck tubes, which you saw with the balance active product, the, the little stubby tube with the long neck. So products typically that go um, so it's proctology, um, vaginal products, oral care products, looking at other manufacturers or distributors of those products and seeing if we can bring more manufacturing into the Nesta plant to uh, fill out that capacity. Uh, it's already profitable on its own right in terms of the transfer price, so additional revenue going in there is, is pure, um, almost pure gross margin profitability. I mean, it's clear that you had a very successful period through COVID in terms of your customer service delivery um, on, the, on the customer brand side. And from some of the recent materials, you've talked a lot about the pipeline of the leads that that has led to. Um, but in the meantime, your dependency concentration has actually increased significantly. Now, that's a good thing. That's a success story. Um, but I'm wondering if you could talk more about those leads that have come into the business over the last 12, 18 months as a result of your strong reputation of delivery through COVID and how long it might take for those to manifest themselves in terms of broadening out the the, if you like, the dependency, your customer dependency. So um, I'll, I'll help Gianluca out there because he's got a Scotsman talking to an Italian. Um, so I think what you're asking, Matthew, is um, obviously the reputation of Biocosmos has been very good in attracting new customers. How long does it take to convert those customers into revenue when they come in for a new product development? Uh, I think that partially already happened because uh, the growth that we have in these last two, three years is partially uh, the result and the consequence of our re resiliency. So if you have a look at the graph that Marco was showing, our growth um, from uh, 2019 to now, I don't have the number in my brain, but it's really significant. So part of that is already happening. So our reputation to be a reliable company stay open also during the COVID period, having the feedback. You see from 2020, compared to the previous year, how significant uh, is the growth? Uh, so much higher. So I think that part of that 
we are already getting the benefit of that in terms of reputation, name in the market, especially, I would say, in Italy and UK, there are the two major markets where we are well known. The real job now, as Marco was explaining, is to expand this good reputation in the other territories of the world. So US could be uh, one of those, also for the European company that want to export in the United States, um, thanks to the FDA accreditation. So this could be a tool for, for growth. Um, so the, the point is there, to, to expand this capability in the other territories. I think this is the point, because in Italy and UK, it's already a fact. Great, thanks very much. And then there was a, another question just in relation to the in-housing of your manufacturing. I mean, some of your acquisitions, the thesis has, has, has been led by the opportunity to in-house. Could you just um, elaborate a little bit on how much in-housing you've done so far of those recent acquisitions, and if there's still more to go for? Sure. Um, so the most recent one, Erol, uh, that was all made under contract to the business in Lancaster uh, called FMP. Um, if you remember, the Erol business was approximately 50% in the UK and 50% international. So what we've now agreed with the um, manufacturers, we're going to move the international production to Biocosmos from January next year. So we're already in that process. So um, makes sense for two reasons. Obviously, we'll then be invoicing euros to euro customers. So we remove that exchange risk. Also, you've got the physical transportation um, a little bit closer. We're going to continue initially to manufacture the UK product in the UK because we're not shipping it uh, over from Italy. We're not uh, having that uh, exchange risk and all, all the shipment. But we'll review that over the next couple of years and ultimately will be made at Biocosmos. But at the moment, that's the, the split we're doing there. Um, obviously, Balance Active was already made. Uh, within the Nesta plant when we acquired it. Uh, we're doing a feasibility at the moment to look at bringing in-house the juice shots on lift uh, because it's a liquid, we can make that. We do have a very competitive price from our CMOs on both of the lift products, on the chewables and on the juice shots. So uh, we're looking at in whether internalising can improve that profitability and obviously reduce that working capital. Also, we have to look at capacity in our CMO. You know, as Lyft continues to grow quite strongly, we have to look at, you know, if that CMO is going to have capacity issues as well, and we balance uh, with that, that risk. Joe uh, Clare from the acquisition in 2021, we already made, is on RID as well. Um, we wouldn't bring POMI tea in-house, we don't do food supplement capsules. Um, so on our recent acquisitions, all of the uh, pharma source products we acquired in 2020, uh, all, all the liquids are in-house uh, already. So typically it's a 12 to 18 month process from when we start looking at it to, to bring that product in-house to get the the margin improvement and the working capital uh, reduction. Great, well look, thanks everybody for coming. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the presentations. Thanks to all the presenters, fantastic job, uh, really brilliant. And thanks very much for your interest today in attending. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.